Wrestling Geeks Wrestling Geeks Alliance, baby. What is up, guys? How you doing? We got another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance for you today as we record on Saturday. Uh, you know, giving us almost a week since All Out. Yes, today we're going to be AEW Marks. But don't worry, we definitely got some WWE in there, too. We're going to do the news. We're going to go over All Out. We're going to go over Dynamite. We're going to go over Rampage. And honestly, we're also going to go over one of my favorite episodes of SmackDown in a very long time. Because it seems a tribal chief doesn't just have a beast on his back, but also a demon. Uh, of course, joining me is my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How you doing, sir? And why are you picking daisies on a farm? Oh, I'm always picking daisies on a farm, bud. Uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing great, man. How, how have you been? How was your week? It was good, man. Very busy at work. Uh, one of uh, the employees that kind of helps me out uh, had a vacation, much deserved for him. Uh, so I was basically running around frantically uh, while sweating. So it was it was it was awesome. I loved it. For the listeners out there, now you can picture Sweaty Dane. That's why I did that. For all of you ladies out there, is that offensive? I don't know. Anyways, don't know. Um, it doesn't have to be ladies. It could be anybody picturing. Anyone can find me sexy. <laughs> sweaty bod. I will allow anyone. I will allow anyone. We're all inclusive here. Some might say that we're all in. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, before we get to that, I guess guess we should go over some news items, Chris. Uh, A couple big ones. Uh, I think let's start off with the PWI, the most prestigious award that's that's yearly given to wrestlers. Uh, They're 500 best wrestlers of the year, and this would be for the previous year, so... We had on it. Do you want me to just go 10 through one and we'll talk about them or what, how, how do you want me to do yeah, it? Well, I guess we just load up the list at the beginning and then we can talk about because I think the top 10 is actually pretty fair for the most part. Very solid. Rich Swan at 10. Shingo Takagi at nine. Finn Balor at eight. Uh, Will Ospreay at seven. John Moxley at six. Kota Ibushi at five. Drew McIntyre at four. Bobby Lashley at three, number two, Roman Reigns, and number one, the wrestling god himself, Kenny Omega. And this, of course, did not have any negative response from fans going back and forth that have to be tribal and love one company over another instead of like me and Chris who just love good wrestling. But, um, you know, no controversy, Chris, in those top two at all. I mean, when I read that top 10, I was like, fuck this top 10 because Falter wasn't on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, your top 10 is busted if Falter's not on there. As far wow. as like great wrestling and uh, who's had the best matches this year. I guess just because we don't see him a lot. But I mean, like, there's no way you don't put Falter in the top 10. It's, it's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's a solid top 10 list. And there's definitely an argument to be made. 
I don't feel like this is just WWE fans being like Roman is our guy because one, it's Roman Reigns. I feel like there is a uh, legitimate argument you could make for the top spot of whether it's Kenny um, or Roman. And and I think Kenny had that tweet between him and Osprey where he's like, you were a bigger dog. He kind of pointed out that you know, Roman is doing really, really well at the moment. And I think Roman is way more important to WWE than Kenny Omega is to uh, AEW at the moment. I mean, AEW is kind of built around a lot of people that, I mean, Kenny is their title holder, but is he the star that you're tuning in to see? So it's, it's kind of, you know, different, but Kenny has also had so many fucking great matches that it's hard to debate that he would not be number one or two on that list realistically. Yeah, and, you know, given what you said, I mean, with Kenny, three different titles, three different promotions, all held by him. Great matches, high profile, all across the board, uh, whether it be Laredo Kid and uh, Andrade over in Mexico, all the great matches he's had in AEW. Uh, just a pairing of him and Don Callis is a great pairing. I don't think it's compared to Paul Heyman and Roman, but still pretty good heel manager uh, setup and impact. Obviously he's gone through almost all of their stars as well. Uh, losing to Christian, but in an awesome match. My thing is, I think that when it comes to character work, Roman Reigns is to me, this is my opinion and you can bust my chops all you want. It's, I just think it's true. It's true, baby. It's true. Um, Roman's character work outdoes Kenny by a long shot. Uh, he understands himself as a, as a character and as himself, really. He's kind of just zoning in on that and his his building him up. He I feel like Kenny more so with the Young Bucks, but some of Kenny's um, not really taking it seriously. Sometimes with his promos, it comes off more shtick and that definitely hinders compared to Roman Reigns, who has also gone through pretty much every big person and now legend um, within WWE. So it's, uh, it's hard to debate. Yeah. And I think that it's one of those things where Kenny had better matches than Roman, right? Otherwise you could easily swap these. Like if Roman had the matches that Kenny Omega had, then this would, it wouldn't even be a fucking question, but I do like that PWI came out and said, like, this was a hard decision. There was a lot of debates for both of those two guys. So it's just weird that people are so upset about it really like it's it's one and two it's not like they put roman in 200th place or something you know what i mean <laughs> like, uh but it, yeah it I, the rest of that list is really good i don't think i would have finn balor in the top 10 um i would say i would have shingo probably a little higher coda would be lower for me yeah coda well coda's kind of See that it gets into that too. Like Coda's been. He great had, if when you're he's able if to you're work. going by everything, even though he had some great matches and he won the title, he had a short reign and got defeated. Well, is there a Coda match that you would rather watch than a Walter match? No, um, his okay. match, his match with Ilya Dragunov, uh, his match with um, what else did he fight? I guess that is kind of a thing though. We don't pay attention to the UK, and a lot of it was promoting it for future matches. So, you know, it is what it is, brother. But Finn Balor would probably be off the list, and Walter would probably be on this list. 
I'm glad Shingo and Rich Swan, even if it's 10 and 9, got some love on this list, though. Yeah, the fact that, like, Ray Phoenix and Penta aren't somewhere in that top 10 is ridiculous, but I guess they probably are on the... the I haven't looked at the tag team list, because they also do that. But, like, Ray Phoenix has been fucking incredible this year. So I would... Monster. I, mean, I, I would... If I was just replacing someone randomly, I would say, like, Finn Balor and put Ray Phoenix there. Yep, but, you know, I was joking earlier, This and wrestlers are happy about this. They definitely brag, and we'll get to that side of the conversation in a second, uh, like Chris talked about and alluded to with Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega going back and forth. But it is it is a list that's, you know, just opinions from someone that have been doing it for years, and they calculate a lot of different things within it, And but it's it's more of a fun list. Um I wouldn't like I said I wouldn't say it's useless. It's kind of like a smaller scale version of the WWE Hall of Fame. I'll just put it that way. Wrestlers are very happy to wear that ring. They're very happy to be in that Hall of Fame, but at the end of the day, it's a small body and in control of it Vince McMahon who makes the decision of who goes into that Hall of Fame. So even though it's prestigious, it's not like it's accolades like a Wrestling Observer Award or the Luthez uh, Award uh, when it comes to actual like, you know, uh technicality. If that makes yeah, sense. And, and it's not really voted on by wrestlers. I think like if you like you were saying with the Wrestling Observer Awards, there's actual wrestlers that vote and read and write about that stuff. Jim Cornette used to back in the day um, as an example. Motherfucker. But, uh, but uh, I don't know, man, if you want to get pissed off about the list, go down to like number 50. <laughs> And see that Tanahashi is behind Nick Gage. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, like, there's more things to be pissed off about the list of the top 500 than than Kenny Omega and Roman, who I think are swappable, honestly, as one and two right now. I mean, they're the most important people in the business, regardless of what company you like or side with. No, I, I completely agree with you, man. You know how wrestling fans are. Yeah, it's just so weird. Like, I, I don't understand why people would be so pissed about if Roman was like, like I said, if he was like 67 on this list or something, I could see you getting pissed off. But like, if he's two, is that really that big of a deal? Um, I'm just more happy for Rich Swan kind of getting love. I feel like he deserves it, honestly, it, for what he's been doing in Impact. And um, it, it's crazy that WWE let that go, that let that guy go. Yeah, I mean, coming back from what should have been a career-ending injury in real life, uh, I think they switched the legs, uh, obviously, with the whole Eric Young thing. To win the title, you know, have that feud with Eric Young, uh, but hold it all the way until Kenny took it from him. And having a great match with Kenny Omega, he definitely had, I would say, a very, very big comeback year. Um, and I'm, I, I am glad that he's in the top ten for sure. Yeah, and, and obviously there's arguments that, like the Finn Balor thing, there's arguments you can make where you could shift people in and out of that top 10. But yeah, I think it's a pretty solid list until you get to like after 20, then it just goes to shit. Like I said, I would never put Nick Gage ahead of Tanahashi. Like Tanahashi has also had some great matches, not very many because of everything that's going on with new Japan, but I would never put Nick Gage ahead of Tanahashi. Well, people took some shots at each other. You alluded to it, like I said, Chris. 
Will Ospreay said when this was, you know, out there um, in reference to Kenny Omega, I'd beat up number one any day of the week and twice on Wednesdays, which happens to be when, when Dynamite is, by the way. Just saying. Then Kenny, I guess, decided to uh, do his best MJF, Chris, and said, your promotion has been so ice cold since I left that not even Meltzer can convince his followers that you were part of any BITW conversations. It hurts me, bruv. One of you dorks should have been the guy. Turns out a bigger dog has my only competition, referencing, like you said, Roman Reigns. And then Will Ospreay said, last chat we had was, you need to be the guy. Since then, you left. We sold out Madison Square Garden, sold more tickets at the Tokyo Dome than ever before, and put on a banger after banger. A a pandemic, but put the brakes on it, and you know it. Open that door. Let's have a conversation. So obviously this is setting up a match between Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega, because from what Kenny has said about Will and vice versa in interviews, they seem like they had a really good relationship that, you know, I don't know if it was like Okada who seemed like um, someone that was really mentoring, but Kenny wanted him to be the next Gaijin talent to get over along with Jay White and uh, definitely set that up. A lot of what Will said, though, if there is any realism to it, um, some of the stuff that you did great with New Japan and the progression of it becoming more popular definitely is on the backs of not only Okada, but also Omega for their match. That kind of, you know, at least got my eyes on the product at the time. Uh, So there is that. So there is some truth between what they said and obviously some arrogance, but I think it's in a playful way. And if I can get Will Ospreay, who claims he is the real IWGP champion and not the, the interim champion like Shingo Takagi uh, against Kenny Omega, the AEW champion, sign me the fuck up. But, Will, I don't know if you should uh, put that title on the line. Just saying. Or maybe you should put that title on the line and we can have King with a 700 belt to set up an Okada match. I guess it just depends on how you look at it. Um, it was a very interesting back and forth. And I do I do like that Kenny has been so heel um, on his Twitter, etc. And like the little call out acknowledging that Roman is great was was really good in the Twitter feud. Like a bigger dog was like there's some good stuff there. And who doesn't want to see Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay? Like, I think we're all down for that, right? Like, as a wrestling community, we definitely want to see that regardless of the outcome. Just don't kill each other, please. (laughs) Well, I I mean, I'm more worried about Will than Kenny. Kenny's been wrestling with, like, a fucking torn labrum for seven months or whatever. Uh, In a torn labia. Yeah. Oh, is that true? Sorry, I had some, I had some noon beers, guys. What was uh, this, like, what did they call was it? Glitter fingers, McFinger bang? Is that what Cornette calls him? <laughs> oh man, I I listen to him every week. People are gonna hate me now. Um, I forgot it is something McFinger bang. Yeah, uh, it's, it, damn it. He needs to just get over it. He, there's no way you can watch a Kenny Omega match and and not think that that guy's a great wrestler. So it's it to me, it's a gimmick at this point. But yeah, it's just. 
it's fun stuff seeing on Twitter. This this is a way more interesting story to talk about as far as Twitter battles go than what we talked about last week with fucking Carl Anderson. Who was uh, not shot out by Adam Cole when he was going over all the amazing members of the Elite, along with uh, Gallows. It's weird. <laughs> when we get into the pay-per-view, like, there's... They did such a great job at setting things up. Um, the Britt Baker match is a, is a huge example of her hitting some Adam Cole moves to build up the moment. Yep. What, what, who, they called it the, the Pennsylvania Sunrise or the Pittsburgh Sunrise. I like that. Um, I think it was I think it was Jr. Jr. was on uh, was doing pretty damn good that night. Let's go to our next news item though. Get out of the PWA. PWA, PWI top 500, a uh, pretty big thing, man. And uh, Vince is apparently pissed because all the way back from Daniel Bryan uh, to Adam Cole, Pete Dunne, uh, and now Kevin Owens, people thought that uh, certain people's contracts were, you know, going f- further than what they actually are. And uh, Kevin Owens is going to be up. With uh, the WWE, and he can stay and extend, obviously, but it is expiring uh, come January of next year. So KO might stay in the WWE, and, you know, it's not like he's treated too terribly, but I would love to see him in the title picture again and taken seriously this time and maybe actually hold that bitch for a while. So maybe he needs to, I guess, use, yeah, I would say politic him. A little bit, uh, you know, when negotiations uh, come across, if they're not already going on. But there is, you know, there aren't a lot of stars, I think, in WWE or otherwise, uh, that I see making the jump to AEW anymore. I, I just don't. Their their roster is getting full, um, and and Tony's doing a really, I think, a better job at keeping some of the bigger names here. Smaller names get beaten sometimes. I think the matches go on too long, but that's that's fine. And giving the the smaller, you know, names a chance to get their skills and get better uh, on the on the fly with their two YouTube shows. But Kevin Owens is someone I could definitely see uh, making an impact over there. And, you know, I don't know, maybe even reforming the Mount Rushmore of wrestling with the Young Bucks and Adam Cole. I don't know. Uh, just doing something bigger than what he's doing. But the the question I'm going to have for you, Chris, within this, Kevin Owens is a big name, but they already have a lot of big names and a lot of up and coming guys. Is Kevin Owens in the same position, no matter what, of possibly getting the championship? But, you know, we'll have to try to get you in a space sometime in the future because it seems like. They don't treat him too terrible, but obviously creative freedom would be different on the other side, and that's definitely appealing. But would his placement in AW be any different from WWE? I mean, he would be immediate. I would assume he'd be immediately placed with the elite as kind of the outcast member of that group. So you could you could have him run through the elite. There, there's tons of stuff you could do with Kevin Owens wherever he goes. But when I think Kevin Owens, I'm like, that is the perfect guy for New Japan. Ooh. They don't have like they don't have their Kenny Omega anymore. Like Will Ospreay and, and, and Zach, they're both great. But like, could you imagine if 
if if like Kevin Owens went there and just started killing people, basically, <laughs> like he would be fucking great in that role. I, it doesn't matter where he goes; like he's gonna make the same amount of money. It's really just about the storyline. And the problem with WWE is they don't want him to be the champion. Like he had to work his ass off to be the champion the first time, and then they had him get beat by Goldberg in ten seconds. So like if people are out there like there's no way Kevin Owens would ever go there. Remember him and Jericho carried a year of their show on their backs and he's friends with Jericho and he's friends with Adam Cole and, and the elite, etc. Um, the only reason I could see if the offer is available, the only, the only thing I could see him not jumping ship would be if Sammy wants to stay, which I don't know. <laughs> I don't see that being a thing considering how they treated him on Saudi trips. And I mean, you got to factor all that in like Sami Zayn's like one of his best friends. They don't let they, he can't go to Saudi. They've been really offish um, about some of his religious stuff and kind of dicks to Sami Zayn buried him at the bottom of the roster for a long period of time. So if both their contracts come up, I'm assuming they're just fucking gone. Like, worst case scenario, you get Kevin Steen and El Generico as a tag team versus the Briscoes in Ring of Honor. And I'm sure they would be completely fine with that, as long as the money's right. It With WWE, like, what story are you going to present to Kevin Owens that would make him want to stay? And the only answer would be, like, if he is the top guy. So he's beating Roman? They're not going to do that. He's not beating Bobby, so he's just kind of stuck uh, unfortunately, because, I mean, they want big guys to be the top of that roster. I mean, they came out and basically said that. That's why they did all the roster cuts and whatever weird shit they're doing with the NXT right now. Like, they don't – I don't think they see Kevin Owens as a star. They do give him a, a lot more leeway uh, than other people as far as, like, on the mic and shit, but – Man, if, I, if I'm Kevin Owens, I'm like, I'll, I'll just go to Japan or <laughs> go, to, go to Ring of Honor again. My only thing about Kevin Owens is I really do want Kevin Steen before he signs anywhere because we haven't seen it with uh, like Adam Cole and, and Daniel Bryan, which we'll get into a little bit later. Before he signs anywhere, I want that that Ring of Honor return. I really hope... Because I want to have more reasons to watch both products, and I think they'll succeed more and maybe get more. And I and, and Impact I think has been doing this, but you know I want to see a lot of these stars go to Impact and Ring of Honor potentially. Um, it just makes wrestling kind of stand out more so with all the companies. And we've talked about in the past the fact that now Ring of Honor seems like they're opening up. I'm assuming they wouldn't say that stuff unless they have had talks with Tony. Um, and Tony really wants to, you know, he wants to be the outlier, if you will, between all the different companies to kind of like keep them together. And I think that's that's actually really smart. I think that it makes things exciting for fans. And when you have rumors that Braun and, and Bray, which we talked about, might be going to impact or that's the rumor right now. Um, you know, Bobby Fish seems perfect for Ring of Honor. A lot of and I hope this doesn't happen. Because I also like NXT, but it's been abysmal as of lately, and I'm waiting for the new look. Um, but if it is true that Dave was saying there's going to be some major cuts with some people that have been there for a long time, a lot of those people 
associated with Ring of Honor, it would definitely give me more of a reason to tune into their shows. And they already have great wrestlers. We talked about the Briscoes, Jay Lethal, who seem like they both both uh, concepts have been there forever. But also Mike Bennett. There's so many great, talented members of the Ring of Honor and Impact roster that the storyline concept, I don't have as much faith, unfortunately, with Impact. But we can still get great wrestling matches and a lot of crossover potential. So I think that's always something to watch for. New Japan's another great example of that. If Buddy Murphy ends up in New Japan, then that's fine with me as well. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about this in the past. Can't everyone end up on the AEW roster? I mean, you can have matches with them on AEW, but it's at some point, and they're kind of getting there now, you have too much talent for the shows. I mean, this is this is something that WWE's done, where, like, are you going to have Kevin Owens wrestling, like, in, in the opening of the show? I mean, because they have so much shit going on. Um, like, whereas if he went to New Japan, I feel like he would be a top guy, really. Like, him versus Okada, him versus uh, Shingo Takagi, him versus Tanahashi. There's so much shit. Him versus Will Ospreay. There's so much shit. Suzuki. With Kevin. Suzuki, yeah, et cetera. I mean, Kevin Owens is that great of a wrestler. For new listeners, Kevin Owens is one of my favorite wrestlers. Uh, I think he's fucking great. And he, wherever he goes... He's going to land on his feet, and uh, it, I guess it's it's all going to come down to money because Vince could throw throw a number out there that no one wants to match. And, you know, he doesn't hate working at WWE from everything I've seen, but him throwing out little teasers, like the location for, uh, uh, what, what, God, what's the giant statue with the president's face on it? You just said it earlier, and I can't think of it. Mount Rushmore. Yeah, like throwing out locations of Mount Rushmore teasing if you're WWE you can't be happy about that kind of thing right? or putting in your bio almost there and then the Young Bucks putting there in their bio <laughs> yeah, you know like I mean it's it, it, it he's one of those ones where it seems clear cut that he's done with WWE and based off the last year I can't really blame him it's not like Kevin Owens has had bad matches or anything but they haven't been a feud with one of the fucking Paul brothers like he's going against Corbin, you know, like uh, it's if you're Kevin Owens and you're as good as you are, <laughs> it's hard to make a debate of why you would stay in WWE. And uh, if, if they're just going to write him a new story like they did with Adam Cole <laughs> to try to convince him to stay, I don't see that going very well. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. Um, but we'll find out what KO does. But, uh, you know, we're talking about the expanding roster of AEW. But I'm actually happy with what seems to be two choices that AEW is adding to their roster. Officially confirmed, Lee Moriarty, who has had uh, some good matches on Dark. I don't watch Dark or Elevation, so I haven't seen them. But uh, I know him from MLW, which he was definitely an outstanding athlete on that show. Uh, he has gotten signed. And apparently, uh, Tony has reached out to Leo Rush, who has been kind of more hush and in, in, in Mexico doing his own thing away from American wrestling. 
And they went back and forth, and, you know, he's trying to basically, I think, get Leo to come back. So we'll see what happens in the future, but that's two other people now added to that roster, Chris. Well, Leo retired, right? Or he said he was retiring. Leo said he was retired, then went to Mexico, and then was in AAA for several months. And now, you know, apparently Tony, you know, contacted him and was trying to make sure everything was good. Obviously, and, you know, if you've listened to the show, you know of my, we talked about it last week, unfortunately, with uh, Daphne's uh, death, but... I've had past battles with mental health and um, Leo obviously is definitely someone that suffers from that same thing. So, you know, I don't know exactly. Basically (laughs) it's, it's a lot of things with him, but he's a great talent and he's still young and he's awesome on the mic. He could totally fit in there with that group of talent that can be the talent of the future that a lot of people talk about with your, you know, Darby Allens and your uh, Sammy Guevara's and, and, and so on MJF. He's in his 20s, so if they are working stuff out, um, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I just, I hope he doesn't have future struggles that will have him, you know, pull away again. If he's all in, pun not intended, but intended, I guess, I don't know, um, then we'll have to see him. But he would be a great talent, and Lee Moriarty is also a pretty damn good signing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the rich get richer, I guess, as far as the talent pool goes. It's just getting better and Oof. better. Um, and, and Bray's still coming, guys. I'm 100% convinced that's a thing. Uh, with Leo Rush, if, if you're Tony Khan, knowing his kind of checkered past for different federations he's worked for, including Ring of Honor, would you rather see him? If you're Tony Khan, if you're if you're going to hire this guy, would you want to go see him like work at GCW or somewhere first, so that he can actually make that commitment? Because I mean, and there's nothing. This is nothing against Leo Rush, the wrestler performer in the ring or his mic skills. But like, I I'm also not going to hire a guy that doesn't show up three out of five times. Yeah, and I completely get it. <laughs> And I don't know. I don't want to. This is not negative to Tony, but, you know, say what you will. These two signings came off the criticism about, you know, the hashtag black wrestling draws uh, movement that we've been seeing, you know, with trying to get more diversity on the television. It seems like WWE, uh, at least what fans think, um, are doing a good job of that. And, you know, are getting better about it. But AEW, they only have 16 talents and a lot of them weren't really a part of it. If that battle royal didn't happen, that would have diminished the amounts of, uh, you know, black wrestlers on the program. So it seems like pretty good timing for Tony to do some uh, some um, quality control, try to, like, get a couple wrestlers or try to work things out with Leo Rush. I don't know if that's the thing. But it just kind of seems like it's uh, the timing right after all that criticism kind of started going his way. It, it's weird that that's a criticism when you have Hispanic champions and um, one of your featured matches is against a New Japan legend who's Japanese. Like, I don't know why people need to throw 
race everywhere all the time. And maybe that's a different conversation we should have. But I mean, if that's why he's doing the signing, I there's other great athletic black wrestlers that you could go hire. One's name is Jay fucking lethal. Go get him. Not Leo Rush. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a valid uh, criticism. If this is uh, from that type of pushback, Um, I think that a lot of it is, and this kind of, we saw, I actually went back and watched it. Uh, Big Swole had an amazing match with uh, Diamante and she looked great. And we really haven't seen her, you know, wrestling actually on the main product um, is the fact that you do have these athletes. You should feature them more instead of bringing in people like an Adam Cole, like, you know, potentially Kevin Owens or Bray Wyatt try to focus on the roster that you have and give some of these people a bigger chance, I guess. Um, I, I'm trying to like, it's, it's, talk, it's such it's, a weird argument because you could, you could also say, well, why is Scorpio sky not on every show? Because he's better than 90% of their fucking foster in the ring. It's a good point. Yeah. No, so I agree. Like if, I mean, if you're like Frankie Kazarian is great. Where is he? So you can make that argument. Like, is Big Swole better than their top tier women right now? Is she better than Chris Statlander? Is she better than Britt Baker? I mean, you can only put so much shit on a two-hour TV show. And also, I mean, the the people that are considered kind of superstars, you mentioned one of them with Jay Lethal. They're not leaving their promotion. Moose just re-signed with Impact. You know, people that have somewhat of a name, WWE is a good example of that. A lot of them are signed long-term commitment. I don't see Big E going anywhere. I don't see Kofi. I don't see Xavier. So, you know, while I think that it's there is understandable criticism when it comes to that, they have to. A lot of those guys that are part of that roster, including Lee, who just joined, um, they got to get better and get more reps in the ring before becoming superstars. I guess Leo Rush wouldn't be, if we can get past his mental issues, wouldn't be a bad idea since he does have a lot of those qualities. But if he can get past some of his issues that he's kind of had in the past, um, very similar to uh, uh, Kylie Ray, who's now with NWA, who had a leave impact right before her match, who left AEW right at the beginning. You know, it's unfortunate. And that's also another group of people with mental disorders, but I, as being someone that's had past problems, I don't want things given to me because of that. I would rather be known as someone that's strong and can do that myself. I don't have a problem so much with the narrative uh, or, or people speaking up and speaking their minds on Twitter. But when it gets, the thing that I've noticed though, is when it gets kind of disgusting and you see certain people uh, that are black and white, who are basically saying that certain people aren't good enough or black enough because, you know, whether it be a Mia Yim who really took it pretty hard that people called her out or the rock, they were just saying, well, they're only half. And I, I don't, or, or Max Caster, for example, on, in uh, AEW. And I don't know how the hell it gets that to the level of toxic nature among people, but unfortunately it does. Twitter can be a great thing and can really change some stuff. And sometimes, you can get that opposite uh, side of things that can be pretty disgusting and brutal. But I mean, like I said, if, if Keith Lee gets fucking dropped and now that they want to turn him to a heel, Oh, by the way, Adam Cole was going to be his uh, heel manager. That's why Adam Cole left. 
That was great stuff for him, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, I think, that's, I think, that's what they gave him as a storyline to keep him in WWE is he's going to be Keith Lee's manager. One of the best baby faces that you have, let's turn him heel and get Adam Cole to fucking manage him. But if uh-huh. Keith Lee were to be on, you know, leave WWE, I think they would grab fucking Keith Lee, no, no problem. So it's it's a weird... It's a weird argument, Chris, I would say that. There's certain wrestlers, I think they were grabbing a heartbeat, but a lot of them are unavailable. So what do you have? You have newer talent, and you have a bunch of those new talent that are green, and they're getting better and better. And some of the ones that, like you said, a Scorpio Sky, it seems like they're trying to give them a push right now. It's just three hours of television during the week. And then stuff on YouTube that no one watches, really, besides the diehards. Well, I mean, like if you if you take a name like Keith Lee, right, put him in any other wrestling company – He's going to be one of the top guys. Absolutely. So it, it's it's just weird that people think this is a, a signing based off criticism with Leah Rush. But with anything, like, it's surprising that Tony Khan would even reach out to Leah Rush, in my opinion, just because of the checkered past of, one, he said he retired from wrestling, right? <laughs> kind of when screwed. he was in AEW, when he just <laughs> started. Like for him to come back is kind of weird. I mean that that has nothing to do with race or creed. If someone legitimately says that they're done wrestling forever, and then the next day they're like, "No, I'm good. I've been working in Mexico for a while." Um, I I don't know. I think that's more of what the conversation should be, and and less about race and, and creed. And like I said, the the top stars. AEW is so heavily focused on tag teams right now. The top stars are Hispanic. It's Pentagon and Phoenix, Pride and Powerful. Like, there's so many great wrestlers of color that that argument doesn't make sense. I mean, they're not in the top title picture, but is the is the title even the main event of this show 90% of the time in AEW? Yeah. No, I'm, uh, I don't know. I think that's I think that's a good uh, statement, but you know that was uh, some of the stuff that was spoken about within the news. Um, we'll see what happens when it comes to both Lee and also Leo in the future. But I think Lee is a really good uh, new up and comer that will do some good stuff. Um, I just wish, <laughs> and you know, it's like we're both trying to border not being political, but. I don't know. Some of the younger people uh, that talk uh, on Twitter, I wish, I don't know. I wish they had a happier time as a child, I guess. Fuck. I don't know. Keith Lee going anywhere, he should be a top guy. WWE fucked him up. Absolutely. That's on them them as a company. He was a double champion in NXT. Like, he did great there when NXT was still kind of good. If he went to any other company, they would push him. Sometimes it's more about the talent and the personality than it is about color. I think that, like, as a society, maybe we get caught up on that a bit much. And then that's coming as a white guy, obviously. So I'm fucking privileged. But, like, if you send Keith Lee anywhere to any other company that's not WWE, that guy's a top star immediately. Like, if he goes to Impact, he'd be fighting Christian for the fucking championship. There's no yep. question. Like, Keith Lee is that fucking good. Leo Rush is a good talker. Is he that good? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you have to kind of equate the things. 
a little bit. It's it's baffling to me they haven't done more with Scorpio Sky. So if you want to be pissed off about something, be pissed off about Scorpio Sky. And they're and they're trying to get there. But I mean, that's the thing to be pissed off about because I think Scorpio Sky is one of the best wrestlers on the AEW roster. One thing I will say though, and just because Metzler was so um calling out WWE for letting this guy go, but the judge, EJ Naduka, I'm surprised that AEW didn't grab him um, as opposed to who he went to with MLW. But MLW has been able to scoop up a lot of big talent because that guy is going to be huge. And I'm really looking forward to and we'll probably review the first episode once MLW starts up on Vice, which I think it's coming up in the next week or two. So it's the end of September. But um, yeah, you know. I think I want to see everyone. I want to see every good fucking wrestler on television. And honestly, if I could grab, if I could Vince McMahon this thing and kind of get rid of some of the green talent and replace them with some of the biggest stars of the other smaller organizations, I would totally do that. But that's not how it is. We're building and we're building wrestlers. So we'll just have to wait. But I don't know if this was reactionary. It just, you know, was kind of called out as reactionary. But either way, um, there's that. That was uh, that was part of the news. Are we ready to go on to the next? Well, we have one more news item. Uh, no, I, I have is... I have two more. I'm just saying. Uh, do you want me to? Are we moving yeah, on? Yeah, I mean, because it's just gonna get into politics. So yeah, let's let's skate skate past, I guess. I just want to give um, Triple H, and I saw some stupid shit online. I even made a comment, to, and I was actually being serious with Chris, but I, I you know, Triple H, Hunter, Hurst Hemsley, Paul Levesque, uh, he had apparently they're not saying it was it was like a cardiac issue is what they uh, a cardiac event. What the fuck is a cardiac event? That sounds like a, a, a Guns N' Roses tour name or some shit. It, um, it, it's a heart attack. He had a heart yes, attack. he had a heart attack last week and they had to get put surgery on him. And I know that, you know, past things he might have done to his body um, maybe could have. Because he's a healthy guy, you know, I'm assuming. So stuff that he could have done in past, steroid maybe, whatever, could have probably been a proponent of this. But you have to really wonder, and I'm being, I'm asking the question because I'm serious about this. How fucking stressed out is Triple H right now? And how much of this is Vince and what he is doing right now, not only to his company, but specifically to NXT and kind of playing takeover, getting rid of some of the stars, potentially getting rid of more, you know. I mean, is that a really is that a weird question to ask, Chris? No, because stress is like one of the common causes for someone to have a heart attack, right? So I don't think it's a weird question at all. Um, and Triple H is someone that's always been like smoke free, drug free, like even going back to when the click was in WWE, he was always the sober guy. I mean, minus steroids, obviously, there's nothing. Uh, I mean, pretty much everyone in that locker room used steroids at one point in time. But they, they're writing it off as a genetic heart defect. So, I mean, maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe his dad. We don't know. I don't know much about Triple H, but maybe his dad passed away of a heart attack when he was 45 or something. Maybe there's something to that, you know, but I would say your boss yelling at you because you're losing the Wednesday Wednesday night wars. (laughs) 
in an uphill battle is is not something that would help the condition like uh vince and i mean it, it's i don't want to say it's funny it's kind of uh seems kind of weird Sad. that it happened right after like vince and bruce are taking over nxt right so i mean stress is stress is a real fucking thing man and uh as far as like heart conditions and stuff go like yeah it definitely could have attributed to it and i mean like look at nxt for the past year and the amount of stress that guy i'm sure that he just would rather wrestle at this point than actually do nxt you could be right about that you know and i don't want to speculate but we do have word from Metzler or Meltzer. I always do that. I don't know why. Anyways, Dave Meltzer, last week we, we talked about it, that expect some cuts. He's hearing some major cuts for people in NXT. I mean, I don't know, but, like, what if this is a situation where those cuts were explained to Triple H and built with everything else he had and had Hearst reaction or a bad reaction to everything and all the stuff leading up? Because if it's out in the fucking unless unless Dave got some wrong information, but usually when it comes to this type of stuff, he doesn't. This guy's birds out there like Varus. Um Hunter's gotta know that information, and if he knows that he's gotta tell certain wrestlers that he really likes that, you know, maybe some of them have to be fucking trainers or they're gonna have to go. That's got this whole thing, even if that's not even maybe that's that's all speculation, like I said. Maybe it's all stupid, but even if not removing that, Vince, you know, forcing them to go from an hour off the network onto television to go against their competitors, uh, and then when things don't work to their liking, uh, putting them on Tuesday, them getting killed because the product itself was kind of sucked dry a bit from its, you know, creative juices. And the great thing about it, NXT was an hour, and it was a great hour show. They're able to get a lot done, and I think it put. A lot of stress on that, and now certain people get let go, certain people that go up get turned into whatever the fuck Keith Lee or a, you know, not like like we talked about, Keith Lee being a goddamn baby or being a heel, which is stupid, or uh, Killer Cross and what they're doing with him. All that collectively, and this is your father-in-law, that's got to be fucking stressful. That's got to be bad, and... Is the running on the wall? You know, we all for years were like Paul Levesque taking over the company after Vince. I don't think that anymore. And was part of this a test to see if Triple H could handle it, even if it was unfair with what he was doing? That's something Vince does. Yeah, it seems less likely he's taking over the company versus it just being sold at this point, which I. That says more about Vince than it does Triple H. I mean, I think he's done a great job with NXT. He's produced a lot of talent. He's had some great, great NXT shows. And uh, if there's anything to take out of this, me and Dane, we poke fun at Triple H. But I think me and you both are Triple H fans, right? Absolutely. I mean, to me, he's in my top five favorite heels of all time. Yeah, so Triple H is great, and uh, I just want to send him well wishes, man. Like, Me too. I mean, this is it's a shitty situation, and obviously, like I said, there's no way that you could not look at this and be like, stress had to be a part of it, <laughs> because Triple H, like I said, outside of maybe some steroids, etc., he's always been like a clean guy. 
like he that's what he's known for is being the clean silver guy with uh diesel and razor and sean i like i called him diesel and razor as opposed to hall and dash but uh hey, hey yo just transition to something fun did you see uh kevin nash's tweet on the new day coming out in the Wolfpack attire. Yeah, wasn't he a big fan of it? Yeah, he was a huge fan of it. I was like, man, I love Kevin Nash. <laughs> Such a cool guy. Also called out Corey Graves for being a dick. <laughs> Kevin Nash is definitely a guy I would love to get a drink with. I would say a beer, but he's a wine guy. But he seems like he'd be so cool to hang out with. And uh, yeah, no, his booking is terrible, but it's hard not to like <laughs> yeah. Kevin Nash. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, I hope the best for Paul and I think that he's doing an outstanding job. And I don't give a fuck what's going on. That's that's how I felt. I think NXT is great. And more importantly, he's a son. He's a husband. He's a father, you know, of, of several daughters. So just healthy wise, I hope he's over this hill, basically. And I hope they don't end up fucking screwing him over within the company. I really do. Talking about NXT, instead of Vince taking that over for the new look, is it time to just put Gabe Sapolsky there and just let him run wild? Because, like, they're not yeah. going to be AEW if they don't have that kind of mindset. Like Something different? Something different, which Gabe would give them or Paul would give them. It would be something alternative to everything else that's going on in the wrestling world. And I thought, or we talked about, like Gabe was supposed to be getting an Evolve show. He was. I doubt that's happening now. He was going to have a uh, network show. It was NXT Evolve. I think it was going to what it's going to be called. But I mean, that's the thing, and that's the perception. You hear Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon going in to help, quote unquote, Triple H and Sean with a new look and direction. You go, ugh. But if you heard Gabe Sapolsky and Paul Heyman were going to NXT to help out. It would be completely different. You'd be like, all right, now XT is going to get even better than it was, as opposed to this is probably, I mean, there's a chance it could be as good as SmackDown, but it's probably going to be fucking like Raw. That's that's the fear. And it, that's a decent point of criticism because look what they did to Raw. I mean, it's terrible. And SmackDown, you find out that Vince is usually not there and that Hunter and Paul Heyman are really sometimes in control of it. Helping out Bruce Pritchard and shit like that. So, I don't know. That's kind of weird. Edge Edge as well. All You got those creative minds helping out with a show that is far better than the other show, the flagship show. And you got that creative force that's now going to NXT. If it was Gabe and if it was Paul, I think it would be a completely different story. Yeah, and, and this is not, once again, not taking anything away from Triple H, but... Something is not working in NXT with the two-hour format. Maybe it's time to give the reins to someone younger. Um, be, who's the guy that does their video uh, stuff? I can't think of his name right now. Oh, that used to be an impact? Yes. Uh, Fuck. Like, like him or Gabe or like even Paul. The, the idea is that needs to be different than the rest of WWE. And it sounds like what they're gearing towards is to make it more like the rest of WWE, which yep. is not that's not how NXT was successful. Like people watched NXT and, and bought the WWE network to watch NXT because it was a different wrestling show. I would I would almost say that it was 
a better produced Ring of Honor when NXT was at its peak. Yeah. There was time. I mean, I think I got right. I I wish I got the two years beforehand, but I got in right as the transition was happening with the Sami Zayn's, Kevin Owens and and Balor's and Samoa Joe's going up to the main product to the Adam Cole's and the Johnny Gargano's and Tommaso Ciampa's kind of taking over. But I mean, for a five or six year period, NXT was a lot of people's favorite pro wrestling show. And unfortunately, and I think it's due to getting micromanaged and being on USA and being two hours and a lot of stuff that's out of control and also going against a really hot new thing like AEW. None of that was fair. I think Vince was really doing sending a message by, oh, Cody Rhodes is going to have a (laughs) Cody Rhodes is going to have this new wrestling promotion. Well, I'm going to put Dusty Rhodes old promotion NXT, the last thing he was working on against it like because he's a dick he does stuff like that there's a lot of stuff i respect about vince and there's a lot of stuff i don't respect about vince and that's something that he would do yeah i don't i don't it's it's just so weird to think about i i don't understand how you could fuck nxt up but they've managed to do so like if they kept all of the talent they've sent to the main roster and did nothing with and just made nxt its own thing NXT would be as good, if not better, than AEW. Like, if Keith Lee's still on NXT, are we even talking about Are we even having this fucking conversation? If you were so wanting them to outdo them, like you're saying, in, instead of just for no reason sending Killer Cross up, sending Dijakovic up, sending Keith Lee up, where you don't really have anything to it, keep them on the program and send a couple wrestlers that used to be you know, synonymous with NXT that are, you're not, that they're not doing anything to fucking NXT and keep them there full time to build up that roster and give more reasons. I mean, if Kevin Owens was on the product, he could have done stuff with the undisputed era. We only got one little fucking match. You know, Finn was good, but he could only do so much to push the needle. Sasha was there for a fucking, you know, just a second. So was Charlotte. I mean, you could have, if you wanted to use them in the draft, you went from having an, and it, actually made it very popular but since survivor series didn't have the the amount of viewers you wanted that year when adam cole and nxt invaded that night that they were stranded in saudi arabia and they had to like rewrite the show without vince and it was one of the best shows they had and then that that went into nxt winning over on smackdown on survivor series one of the only times it's really actually mattered in that sense to all of a sudden ah fuck it didn't do enough Go back to fucking NXT. We're not giving you any stars. You guys just have Finn Balor. Just stupid. Imagine that was Vince's fault. That was imagine, Vince's fault. That was not Hunter's fault. Imagine if you're Ricochet, right, or Aleister Black, and you get forced to this roster, and they have nothing for you to do. Like, why would you not – if you're going to try to compete with AEW, why would you not keep those two guys? Ricochet is amazing. Uh, like three or four years ago, he was on our top ten wrestlers. It's yeah. it's it's so weird the way they choose to do things. And Chris, Daniel Bryan wanted to fucking go there, and they wouldn't let him. <laughs> well, Dolph Ziggler also said he wanted to go there, right? At one point, and and, and Dolph would have probably been way better than what the fuck. Bobby Roode's a good example. You're telling me that Bobby Roode's getting treated well and has been. Hell no, Shinsuke. Oh, well, now he has Rick Boogs. You know, I mean, 
some of the people that they decide to make into these weird parody characters really could have pulled some eyes to NXT. And I mean, outside of Walter and uh, Dragunov, I think that Nakamura and Sami Zayn probably had the best NXT match of all time. Like, why are both those guys not there? I don't know. I, I completely agree with you. And, I mean, Tony even said, said it, and he could have just been blowing smoke off Adam Cole's ass. The one person that he feared the most on that roster, I'm sure Ciampa was up there and a couple other people, but mainly he was, was Adam Cole, was his main person that he was, you know, worried being on NXT because he was doing great during the segments, and they lost him. And they didn't even realize he was leaving! Like, well, the They were like, don't leave, we're going to write you a story, bud. We got we got this great idea. So Keith Lee, you know him pretty well. You used to work with him, and then we treated him like shit. He is going to be a big heel. Yeah, we're making him a bad guy. No, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. But who fucking cares? You know, we're just gonna like Mark Henry him just just real quick. Um, and then you're going to be the mouthpiece. You're gonna be like like Jimmy Hart for him. So I'm not uh, wrestling. No, you're not wrestling. But you know, it's uh, it's gonna be awesome. And uh, I think Dave Meltzer put it best. The way that their idea for Adam Cole would have worked 30 years ago. Like, that's how you would treat someone like Adam Cole. But wrestling is different, man. And uh, as long as it's stuck in the Vince McMahon mindset of what wrestling should be, it we're going to be having these conversations. It You're not... Can't everyone be Roman Reigns or Bobby Lashley. You got to find ways to make other stuff work. You know, like it's, it's insane to me. And it's insane to me that we have to have this conversation each week. Like if you gave me the WWE roster, I'd book a good show. It, it's not hard. Like if you gave Tony Khan the current WWE roster, he'd book a good show. Or if you gave it to Paul without someone being above him, he would book a good show or Gabe Sapolsky. I don't understand like how they continuously fuck up such great talent that they have like at their disposal. I don't know, man. I don't know why you do call ups if you have nothing for someone to do either. It's amazing. So, uh, so what, what's, what's Ricochet doing? What's his contract ending? No shit, man. <laughs> Speaking about talent, and those are honestly, you know, who are two guys that don't get any love that I would actually love to be over in AEW because I think they would exceed ridiculously is Ricochet and Chad Gable. And it's because they're two of the best fucking wrestlers. One, an aerial artist, the other one, an actual fucking in-ring wrestler. And they get treated like crap. And you have The Rock who promotes Ricochet and, and you know, puts all this love for him and shit like that. And you have Kurt Angle who's saying, hey, this is the next me. You guys should be paying attention to him. All right, Kirk, whatever. Oh, okay. So The Rock and Kurt Angle don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Gotcha, Vince. You are just the smartest man on the fucking planet when it comes to sports entertainment. And that's all I got to say about that. So, um, quick question. If you just had to pick a wrestler to book the show, who would you pick? Like, current roster. They current roster? Because everyone else died in a, a plane crash or some crazy shit. So, raw roster, wrestler to book the show. 
Sure, or just anyone in WWE, I guess. Uh, I mean, this is a hard question, Chris. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. Who would you? As crazy as it sounds, Xavier Woods. You know, I, I don't have a problem with that, actually. I think that he would contribute really well to a situation like that. Um, see, I would love to say, like, I want to go with one of their legends. I love the idea of Xavier Woods. I think that's that's brilliant. But, like, their legend's Randy Orton. I think he would be like, just just make it good. Like, that would be his only advice. For it's, so funny. it's so funny you said Randy Orton, because that was, like, my second choice in my mind. And was curious if you would go there. I think Randy Orton is a could easily make a good show. You know who has passion for wrestling, and honestly, uh, he's turned around to one of my like I really like Drew McIntyre, and he's got a lot of passion, and he's been in a lot of different organizations. So actually, he's someone I could see as being someone that could contribute to that. You know, I love Randy, but I just feel like Randy's like, dude, just tell me what to fucking do, and I'll do it really well. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the caveat to Randy is if he would actually want to do it, <laughs> you know. But I mean, like Randy Orton, he's just so, like psychology wise in the ring and and everyone who's listened to the show for a long time, long, long time listeners out there. Everyone knows that I'm not the biggest Randy Orton fan, but I've been more positive um, towards him lately because I think he's everything he's been do- doing is great for the past two years, honestly. But that's a guy that could book old school and, and make the shit work if he wanted to. But I also if you had Xavier Woods, <laughs> if you had Xavier Woods, Charlotte Flair, Drew McIntyre, and Randy Orton creatively being a part of it, the way that Edge and uh, Daniel Bryan were with SmackDown beforehand, I think those were four people that would be able to really build Raw better instead of just relying on TV writers to go underneath Vince because none of those TV writers have the balls to go. Back to back with Vince, like some of these wrestlers would. I mean, I think Randy Orton is kind of in the same similar situation that you're talking about on SmackDown, right? Like, I think he is controlling that, and that's why RKO or RK Bro is one of the best things on the on fucking Raw. Matt Riddle definitely should not have anything to do with this, by the way. I just want to make <laughs> just you have it would be Aww. it would get it would get weird. Leave I my love, boy alone. Leave, I love leave Matt. the king. Leave the king of bros alone. Bro. All right. Uh, last news item. Uh, WWE signed someone. I think it's a pretty big signing. We've been talking about this. Uh, big fan of his work at the Olympics. Gable Stevenson. He said that. Uh, he, well, first WWE uh, said something about it. And then Gable just said that he was able to. Uh, childhood dream accomplished. I have officially signed with WWE. Thank you. For the opportunity, let's work. And apparently, they're allowing him. It's a uh, different style contract, so he can actually still work with college wrestling and do this. So he's going to try to build him still as a collegiate wrestler. Um, this is awesome. Obviously, not tremendous pop from the audience when him and the uh, female uh, winner, I forgot what her name is off the top of my head, uh, gold, gold medal winner, uh, came out. But if you give him a chance, I'm telling you, Pro wrestling fans, go online, try to find some of his, uh, well, there would be interviews post-match, 
but really they're, they're promos. And someone told me about that uh, going back and forth on Twitter, and I was like, holy shit, he's cutting pro wrestling promos after he beats someone in collegiate wrestling. So he's already got a little bit of that flavor. You know, um, people definitely obviously make the comparisons to Brock and to Kurt, and he loves both those guys. They both definitely have it out for him. You know, uh, Brock's been promoting him to WWE for a long time. Joe Briscoe, you know, when he was working with the company, told them to check him out. Kurt Angle, same thing. So there is a lot of closeness in this. But he said, I'm not the next Kurt Angle. I'm Gable Steveson. Now, please enjoy the show. Thank you. And, you know, just posting pictures of him young next to Brock. He's in his early 20s. And another cool aspect, Bobby Steveson, his brother, was a part of the last group of NXT talents that they announced. Um, that's really fucking cool, too, man. And Bobby said, uh, talking about the Creed brothers who are in um, – Oh, what the hell is the name of that sad group uh, with Roderick Strong and Malcolm Bivens? The Golden Shower? Yeah, sure, it's the Golden Shower for now. Uh, t- he said, what the Cree brothers did the other night was cool, but they have nearly scratched the surface on what the Steveson brothers can do. Give me that team, because I feel like they got to send Gable to NXT. He's got to get some actual in-ring professional wrestling training. And his brother's already a part of that. Put them in a fucking tag team together. Give us a new Steiner Brothers. And then Gable, eventually, once he's ready, you can split that off and have him do his own thing. But I would even say start if, 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 you, if you have a, a duration of time where they win the tag titles and they're getting better at, you know, you know being on the mic and, and Gable's the, the Scott to, to uh, you know, Bobby's Rick. And then you get him on the main roster – Pair him with Kurt Angle if you want to as their fucking mouthpiece. I mean, and then Gable goes off to do whatever. Maybe becomes a Paul Heyman guy eventually. Sky's the limits, but he needs to train, and we need to find out. All right, you you kind of got the the charisma aspect. You definitely have the you know collegiate wrestling background, but can you become a professional wrestler, or I guess as a you know Vince likes to say superstar. That's a really fucking dumb term. <laughs> superstar. <laughs> Can you be a superstar? Uh, I mean, the biggest question is, like, how good is he going to be at reading scripted promos? Um, <laughs> I like the idea of a tag team if it was any other company other than WWE. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't give a shit about tag teams? I mean, I, I feel like he's going to be a guy that probably debuts at the Royal Rumble. I don't even think he's ever going to hit NXT. Do you think he's so just going to completely go past it? Yeah, he'll probably just go completely past it. It's probably already talked about it. It'll show up at Rumble, hit a bunch of suplexes. He might not win Rumble, but they'll make a they'll be like, this is a huge impact guy. We're gonna push him to the moon, which is which is fine. Like obviously great collegiate wrestler, etc. But uh it it harkens back I don't uh, did you get a chance to listen to that uh Dave Meltzer, Tony Khan interview a couple weeks back when he was talking about Gable Stevenson? Who was talking? I I didn't, but who was talking about it? Tony or uh, Dave? Well, no, Dave asked him. He was like, so, you know, he seems like pretty much a lot for WWE. And Tony Khan's remark was like, well, he wanted to go to WWE. Like, that was his childhood dream. That's who he sees as big marketing. He wants to do MMA and he wants to do WWE. And he's like, when they were busy talking to him, I was signing CM Punk. Hey. It was basically the comment. And you're like, okay. 
No. And and obviously that's, that's not and, and knowing probably the way that Tony talks, that's not saying that Tony wouldn't love having Gable Stevenson, but he knows that that's that's what he wanted to do. He was he was busy trying to build his fucking company when WWE is worrying about it. So I don't blame him for saying that. And I but you got to admit, if Gable doesn't work out for whatever fucking reason, maybe it's this stupid creative path that WWE has, you know, just completely destroying good talent. I don't think Tony would uh, be like, no, we don't want to sign you in a couple of years. Yeah, I just I look at Gable Stevenson and he's not as like, well, not wrestling wise, but Chad Gable was very similar and someone they could have pushed to the moon. And right now he's dick all right. And he's the manager for a heel Otis. He basically got Adam Cold before (laughs) Adam Cole would have gotten Adam Cold. I mean, granted, I guess Chad was a bronze medalist, not a gold medalist. But is there that much of a difference? I mean, Dolph Ziggler is a, a like was a national collegiate wrestling champion, and it, he's Dolph Ziggler. So I, I get the hype, and I think it's a great signing, and I think there's some really cool stuff to do with him. But it's also WWE, so I don't know. But uh, it well, was even, interesting. Even what's more the- fucked up, you 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 mentioned Chad Gable, so I just want to throw this in there. Yeah, Chad Gable's not his real name. They didn't let Olympian keep his real fucking name. That's not that's not surprising. It's WWE. Charles Betts. <laughs> Charles Betts is his name. And why wouldn't he be able to say, you know, he bets on himself, man? That would have been great. Yeah, well, you you got to win gold to get that kind of swagger, I guess. Jesus fuck. But I mean. I mean, you, me and you talked about this offline. I mean, if they want to throw him with Kurt Angle, I think there's ways to uh, make that guy more important. You know, but the average wrestling fan doesn't watch the Olympics or amateur wrestling. Yep. At this at this point, so like they'll be able to position on that. But I mean, like a lot of that roster are former. Like Xavier Woods is a former. <laughs> collegiate wrestler yep so uh, there's only so many times you get throw that line out there and it matters and uh i, I think he kind of got overshadowed not i'm i apologies for female wrestlers out there i, I cannot remember her name um, but when they had the two of them in the ring together like i thought he, he got overshadowed by her honestly <laughs> as far as personality and stuff goes it, it'll be interesting to see i mean there's obviously a lot of skill sets there the open contract is the weirdest thing about this because that would lead me to believe that he wa- he also wants to do UFC. Yeah, and he was offered by UFC. So, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, I'm I'm glad it's it's great that he's getting offers like this from WWE and UFC because they see something in him. But either place, he's got to do some massive training because he doesn't have some of the training it takes to be a part of either one. You know, he's I mean, I don't know. I'm sure he can strike, but that would be something that he major needs to learn with UFC and then the psychology and some of the other stuff with professional wrestling that has nothing to do with grappling. He's going to have to get better at. Or they could just treat him like Brock Lesnar and have him suplex everybody. Just yeah, depends on, that's, that's true. Depends on how they book. My it. name is Paul Heyman. <laughs> and this what, is Gable Stevenson. If if I had to give Gable Stevenson someone to watch, I would be like, watch Miro right now. Miro's doing great, man. He's doing great. 
Miro reminds me, I don't know if I've told you this comparison, but I was the other night, I'm like, dude, he's like the, and it might have been some green stuff that I intaked. Um, he's like, I felt like Matt Riddle, you know, I was like, he's like, you know, the Iron Sheik meets Big Papa Pump. I could see that, but he can also hit like super, well, no, Steiner, I actually, Scott Steiner is not a bad comparison to Miro. Honestly, <laughs> they got that ego, but he also has that like foreign, almost like ridiculous over the top heel concept that I think Iron Cheek just, you know, jabroni. It's, <sighs> it's very easy to forget how good Scott Steiner was as a professional wrestler just because Whew. of how big the personality was. But like if you go back and watch early Steiner brother shit, like he's so damn good. Him and Steiner are so good. Steiner <laughs> uh for listeners out there that maybe didn't live through the 90s that was their theme song it just yelled steiner line over and over and over again yep that was an awesome theme music oh dude early wcw had some great stuff they all it all sounded the same but it was great. <laughs> but it also told you who the wrestler was. It was like the man that's called Stang. Yeah. American <laughs> you <know>. males. American <laughs> males. Oh, I guess this tag team is named the American males. That makes sense. Yeah. Stater <laughs> They're the Steiners. They like to hit clotheslines. They they just laid it out out on Front Street. Oh Jesus, I love it. All right, well. I want to get SmackDown out of the way first so we can talk about the events for AEW in order. Um, dude, I loved I loved this fucking show. Smack, SmackDown has to be, to me, the best thing WWE puts on. Um, consistently, some shows are not as good as others, but this was an excellent show. And for a fan of wrestling, you know, Rampage, sometimes I think that they've had there's only been a couple episodes, but they've had some big things. Like the first episode had the championship match and the ne- next one had CM Punk and they've had other ones that were a couple of matches thrown together. But I mean, this is so much fun to go from the best WWE show to, you know, another hour of dynamite, basically, uh, especially for the live audience there that gets to watch it. Um, but how, how did you like SmackDown from last night? We have the return of the demon, you know, we had Brock Lesnar, Almost F5-ing Paul Heyman right off the bat. We had an awesome fucking tag match with the Usos, and even though there was some bullshit at the ending, but what are you going to do? That's how it usually is. And, you know, the man is now heel, and I think that's going to – what they're doing, the storytelling, I think they're about to make Bianca an even bigger baby face. So I thought across the board last night, Chris, SmackDown was awesome. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I thought it was a very good show. I'm still not on uh, the the bandwagon for Becky being a heel. Me neither. Gotta admit. Uh, and I think that that association with Bianca actually hurts Bianca. I know what they're trying to do, but uh, I, I don't necessarily think it's think it works. But the, the show itself was great, man. Anytime you get Paul Heyman's penguin ass up into an F5. <laughs> It's pretty solid. so good. And he took a bump, uh, man. He he didn't take an F5, but he basically took a Samoan drop. <laughs> yeah, like, it's good. I mean, Brock, Madison Square Garden, that, that's all you have to say. And uh, this further goes to the point where if you look at WWE across the board, 
their best stars right now are Cameron Grimes and and Roman. So that's the argument, you know, of Roman is actually carrying their fucking product right now and probably should have gotten number one on PWI. Yeah. Roman Reigns is killing it. And him, the Usos, and a very scared, as always now, since Brock came back, Paul Heyman, went to the ring. They were about to, you know, Roman just started going over what he's going to be doing in the future. And the Beast music came on. Mass Square Garden blew the roof off the top. Actually, and to the fact that we're recording on Saturday on September 11th, beautiful tribute package at the beginning of the show. Uh, other stuff definitely peppered in uh, later on. Speeches from both George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Uh, whatever, say what you will about either president, doesn't matter. It's just, it was a really good, feel good American moment going over, you know, when they were the first show to basically go live and say, fuck it. And Vince came out and did that great speech uh, showing the, the Yankees game that was around the same exact time. It's been 20 years. Chris, since 9-11, just, I thought it was an excellent, excellent tribute, and that's one thing that I will give to Vince McMahon in a positive way, is his, he's a very patriotic person, and uh, with stuff like this, he tends to really put a lot of work into it. Yeah, I have to agree with you, I thought it was a great tribute, and uh, do you, you know, where were you when the world stopped turning, Alan Jackson style? I was in a seventh grade history class with this teacher who was like 80 years old. (laughs) I can't remember his name to save the life of me. And uh, he was the first person. He was like, it was definitely Osama bin Laden. Like he knew he had like past military uh, background and stuff. And he like, he knew he's like these terrorists and, and went on about it. And this was the first strike, not the second strike when he was talking about this when we were in class and I remember them shutting down the entire school and us going into the cafeteria. Cause they had like mounted, uh, mounted TVs, like see like old school TVs mounted in the ceilings. And we were all watching it and they had grief counseling and, and stuff. It's, it's crazy to think, man, that's been 20 years. It's, it's insane. Yeah, I was in uh, two of my favorite coaches' classes back-to-back. First, uh, Coach Stokes, my math teacher. And uh, someone came in really frantically, one of the female uh, teachers, and whispered in his ear. His eyes, you know, just jumped up, and he put on the television. And we were just like, what's going on? He tried to explain to us a little bit. I was probably in 10th grade. I'd have been a freshman in high school. And, you know, the bell rang shortly after it happened. We went to shop class with one of my other favorite teachers, Coach Hackett. Both of them just great teachers. And uh, Coach Hackett really explained to us, like, you're never going to forget this. This is bigger than what happened when I was in school around uh, y'all's age, which was the Kennedy assassination. This is this. We never thought this could happen. And kind of there was a couple class clown jocks and i definitely was never part of that group that he fucking just nipped in the butt real quickly and just called him out for joking about this shit and uh yeah just really crazy day and crazy i i just i love the unity that happened afterwards i didn't like some of the bigotry obviously for you know or anyone that that has any type of middle eastern 
descent, just got a lot of shit for no fucking reason uh, after that happened. That's not something I liked out of it. But us together as a uh, as a nation, that was good. I did like that. And it's yeah, kind of completely uh, the opposite nowadays. The, the togetherness we had after that happened, we were just all Americans. Regardless of where you came from, who you are, what race you were, we were just all Americans. And uh, I don't know, man, every time I think about it, I think about George W. Bush reading that children's book and someone Secret Service walks up and whispers in his ear. He has to make that speech and, and say what you will about George W. Bush as a president. The the speech he gave on the grounds, like taking a helicopter ride there to give that speech, was it was it's it's a great moment in American history. But you could also be like, fuck that guy, because he could have also done that during Katrina. <laughs> you know. Well, but, part of me also wants to say, you know, I, would, I wonder if what he said was like, did you tell Cheney? Right after they told him, you know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> hey, I, I, I go get a beer with Bush. I, I kind of blame a lot of the stuff on the fact that he was kind of just puppeteering and, and you know, people were marionetting him, like his office and his vice president, uh, and controlling more of the outcome. Kind of similar to what's going on now. It's weird. How do you think Al Gore would have responded since he won the popular vote? <laughs> that's the real he question. He, he would have came out and told everyone he invented the Internet. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> And Man Bear Pig. Man Bear Pig. I, I love the episode of Man or the episode of South Park where they apologize to him and they need his help because they realize that Man Bear Pig is real. That was great. <laughs> well, he was super serial. Super serial. Anyways, yeah, but great tribute. It just a tragedy. We're doing this episode twenty years to the day that it happened. Uh you can never forget if you're an American, I don't think, especially if you lived it, 9-11. Yeah, it's it's weird that we don't have the same mindset for, like, Pearl Harbor, though. Like, I think people need to internalize history more. Um, but, yes, it, it is crazy. 20 years, man. God, I feel like... 20 years ago, I was 13. He was the top star at Monday Night Raw. John Cena! <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on to... Uh, oh, yeah. So we were, we were talking about that before we went into that, you know, me remembering the package to <laughs> Brock Lesnar coming out, uh, getting in the face... Of Roman Reigns, Uso's kind of getting in front of him as protection. And Brock looks at, at Paul and says, Paul, why didn't you tell Roman Reigns that I was coming at SummerSlam? You know, cutting off cutting off uh, Paul, who was like, you know, if, if you're going to do this, Brock, uh, you know, you, you could pick Monday Night Raw and, and go after Bobby Lashley. Why did you have to go after him? You know, and... <laughs> That was his response, and Roman and the Usos looked at him like, you motherfucker, left his ass in the ring, and Paul Heyman tries to do his old intro for Brock Lesnar, and Brock Lesnar basically almost F5s him until a Superman punch from Roman Reigns, two super kicks from the Usos, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was basically the opening of the show for Brock at the better of him, and uh, yeah, this is building 
it sucks that, like I said, I hope they extend this feud past Saudi Arabia, but I guess we'll get the match regardless. Uh, but Roman's got some motherfuckers on his ass. I mean, he's got the demon now, and he's got Brock Lesnar. So pass all of this. We're all said and done. Look at the track list of fucking wrestlers, top tier or best versions of themselves with the fiend and also the demon that that Roman has taken out on his way to WrestleMania, probably to face the rock. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but and, Brock Lesnar was awesome during this, by the way. And I think we've talked about this in the past, but my prediction is that Finn is going to be a transitional champion because they have to get the belt off Roman. You don't necessarily want it on Brock. Does Roman and Brock just kill each other and Finn ends up with the title somehow? In like a three-way match? Because I feel like that's where they're aiming. Especially if he comes in as the demon. And uh, I don't know. I think that's great. I, I loved all of this. Paul Heyman is amazing. He's he Best might actor. be the greatest, ma- greatest manager of all time. I'm just gonna, I'm not even going to say he might be. I'm just going to say he's the greatest manager of all time. He's definitely one of them, man. I mean, it's like him and Bobby for me are, are neck and neck. But Paul is really adding on to his legacy. Whereas Bobby obviously went to a for managing to announcing. Paul's just completely stacked up. I mean, he's got some of the best wrestlers that he's been a part of and just creatively um, just a juggernaut, man. And his acting, his acting. I'm saying acting, but it's because he's so goddamn <laughs> convincing. I could see him in a movie. Like, oh, it's like, gonna, ro- it's, like, it's roller take, like Paul Giovanni or is that his name? <laughs> To play him in a fucking film. That's how good of a, of a, of a performer Paul is. <laughs> when you say Paul in a movie, I'm like immediately rollerball with ice, ice cube. Or not ice cube. LL Cool J. There you go. Remember that? Yeah. Yep. That's a throwback. Um, yeah, no. So one thing I loved about this is that Roman Reigns knew he was betrayed, but he chose to save Paul. He's like, why didn't you tell me he was here at SummerSlam? You knew. And then, like, Brock is going to murder him, and they came in and made the save. The family still made the save. So the entire storyline is built around Paul Heyman, which is kind of weird, but great. The only thing that would make it better is if, like, uh, the Gorillas of Destiny show up. Yeah, with their giant-ass brother. We'll take all of you. <laughs> fucking Haku shows up and rips Brock Lesnar's eye out. <laughs> God, I still want to see that fight. The guy that Harley Race said was tougher than him versus Brock Lesnar. I, I bet like Harley Race and Brock Lesnar would be best friends out in Oh, America. he would have he would have wanted to manage him. I know this is from last week, but when Roman was like, where is Brock? And Paul's like, Manitoba, Canada, I think. And he's like, "Mm, I don't know if he's there. And he's like, Minnesota. He's like, are you sure he's not here? (laughs) That was really good. Like Roman is living his best life right now. (laughs) He definitely is. All right, let's keep on going with the show. But, yeah, great opener. A lot of fun. Um, 
And then we had a, ta- a 10-man tag team match. And honestly, even though this was I, – I hate it when AEW and WWE have this many fucking people. But this was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a bunch of spots, but it was good, I think, for a uh, Mass Square Garden thing. I love Sammy coming out, um, you know, in his New York Knicks look. So you got to pop for that. And then completely turned it by having Atlanta Hawks member Trey Young come out to a chorus of boos. And then we had Apollo Crews, Otis, Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode, and Sammy going against Ray Dominic, Biggie, Rick Boogs, and King Nakamura. The two notes, I love the ending and all the – well, actually, I love that part where all of them did their power moves back to back to back to back to back. That was a lot of fun. And then the ending where it got set up from the uh, 619 by both members of the Mysterios into the big ending on Sammy to get the three count. Um, I just, uh, the, the thing that I really noticed, Chris, just like I do once in a while is that Rey Mysterio is still holy shit fast for his fucking age. The guy's approaching his fifties and he's able to run like it's nothing and do stuff just so <laughs> perfectly and seamlessly. It's just ridiculous, man. How the fuck has, how is it like his body not been affected by everything that he's done? I mean, he's been doing jumping Hurricane Rana's to the outside for fucking, what, 30 years? I mean, I think his body has definitely been effective, but it did, or affected, but it didn't stop him from hitting the fucking ropes hard. Looking at you, Jungle Boy. Uh, <laughs> shots fired. This is the things we're annoyed about because we grew up watching Rey Mysterio. Every time Rey hits the ropes, he hits them hard as fuck, dude. Like, he looks like a cannonball coming at you. That's one great thing about Darby Allen. If Darby Allen's running, he looks like he's fucking running. It's not like a weird jog motion. Like, when he sends that suicide dive or whatever that Darby does on the outside, he's trying to go through that person. So it makes it more believable. I think a lot of wrestlers should sit down and watch how good Ray is at just running the ropes. Um, but uh, for sports non-sports fans out there the reason trey young was a big deal is he uh killed the knicks (laughs) with like four seconds left and he took a bow and afterwards in the press conference they were like why did you bow and he's like i heard that's what you do at the end of a show (laughs) here in new york so he's a he's a heel in new york city and uh shout out to my boy trey young let's go hawks Yep, go Hawks. Might be a heel (laughs) to them, but we're Atlanta folks, so do your thing. But I thought that was great. He got ejected for punching one of the guys in the head, like blatantly in front of the ref. And WWE's really good about that, so I think that was kind of an accident. But you know, you got someone that doesn't know the ropes, if you will. So it was, it was fine. It was he got ejected. It was good. It was fun, and it was a, it was a, everyone got to get their shit in, sort of match. It was also less annoying than when Giannis was on AEW a few weeks ago, and they just kept telling us that he was there. <laughs> oh, my God, he's loving this match. <laughs> Every 10 seconds, I was like, we get it, dude. He's there. That's <laughs> If he's not going to wrestle, stop talking about it. <laughs> Trey Young out here throwing, throwing fists. That's what we do in Atlanta. Let's go. A-Town down. All right, next thing up. We had Bianca Belair come out. They're doing the contract signing for her rematch at the pay-per-view. 
And, uh, you know, Bianca is humble. She still puts over Becky Lynch, you know, and uh, says that she's one of the best, but she just didn't think that she would actually pull something like she did at the pay-per-view, but she's owning up to the fact that she lost. And she signs the contract, and then we have Becky show up. Chris, did Becky murder Elmo to make that fucking jacket? (laughs) You sounded like Elmo just now. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) You know what? You're not wrong. (laughs) She probably did. She is a heel now. Maybe she did kill. She, like, carried her baby with her and then murdered Elmo on Sesame Street and decided she was going to wrestle. Yeah, it was weird. I know she's probably going for like a flare thing or something with the whole robe or Rick Root or whatever, just trying to bring out this heel persona, but weird-ass fucking uh, jacket to wear. But anyways, she gets to the she, ring. She, she doesn't need to be wearing a robe in general. There's already a spot reserved for Charlotte. Woo! Yeah, I agree. Um, She's being cocky. She's like, what if I don't decide to sign this contract? Like, what are you going to do about it sort of thing? Crowd turns on her, which is what they want because they're turning Becky heel, which is whatever. I guess we got to get used to it. And Becky takes exception with the crowd and is like, really? I came in at a moment's wimp to go win this match, you know, when they didn't have an opponent. I left, you know, my daughter, my newborn, to come for you people, and this is what you give me. So, Definitely putting that, setting it in stone. She signs the contract, and then she ducked out after throwing it at Bianca, who caught it perfectly and, you know, got in her face. She got the hell out of the ring and left. So, uh, yeah, that's where we're going with. I mean, I like the match. I think Bianca is going to look better at the end of this. Only if she picks up the title, though, from Becky. If she doesn't, she's going to look like an idiot. And Becky, I just don't understand. You don't have a lot of baby faces that are strong draws. Like now your two of your strongest draws are on the same program and they're both heels with Becky and fucking Roman Reigns. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, Chris. I think the idea is that Bailey is coming back as a baby face. Oh, I like her as a heel. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think that she comes back full Bailey NXT Bailey as a baby face and, 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 is the one to put down Becky. It sucks for Bianca because I think that she was having great, well, could have had a great run because it was so short. Um, yeah, Bianca is kind of the odd man out. They're going to build that around the four horsewomen. So, you know, Bailey wins and they bring Sasha back. And Bianca's the odd man out, unfortunately. And I think she's fucking great. Yeah, she definitely is. And I could see what you're saying happening. I just would have just kept Becky as a as a baby face and brought back heel Bailey because she's done the best so far as a heel. But knowing WWE, yeah, they spo- will do that shit. Spoiler alert: Bailey is winning Rumble. She'll be back by then. She'll be ready to go. She'll win Rumble and then that's your WrestleMania, whatever champion she decides to face, which I'm assuming is going to be Becky. Okay. Well. We'll have to get back to that at Rumble. I don't even want to think about that because that's past this wonderful time period of September, followed by October and November and December. I'm a big holidays guy. You know what I realized, Chris? When I was younger, I loved springtime going into all of summer. That was my favorite time of the year. 
And now I fucking hate that time period because it's really hot in my warehouse. I don't really like pools because it's like <laughs> butthole water. Um, and also, you know, I'm just not a fan of allergies and shit like that. And now I've realized that the, the, the holidays, I love Halloween. I love Christmas and I love eating. So that's my favorite time period now. And then it gets really fucking yep. cold after that. I'm big wintertime fan. Uh, I, I keep my house at a low, low key 67 degrees at all times. So I live in the wrong state, I think. I should probably move up north. We'll move up north together. Do you want to go to Syracuse? That seems up north, right? Sh- sure, man. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right, this is this is the next thing that we had on the on the fucking card, man. Uh, Becky's uh, soon-to-be husband Seth Rollins and Edge had their rematch. I like this because they gave it a big fight feel. They've been building up the last two weeks talking about this match, uh, going over more stuff. Seth got the win, but this sets up a rubber match. And the way they went about it with the ending of just Seth being that fucking evil heel, being who Edge was at one point in time that devious of a heel, you know, when the refs, when they got her in the corner and she wasn't paying attention, giving the mule kick to the balls of edge, then super kicking him like 90 times, uh, a couple times to his neck, followed up by a stomp to his neck. I thought this match was well worked. I might have liked this one better than the one on the previous pay-per-view of SummerSlam. Um, I don't know. I, I'd have to watch them back to back and I doubt I'm going to do that, but... I hope the third match is the best one out of the two of them. The angle afterwards with Edge being so messed up he had to go to the hospital really puts things into perspective. But I expect them to have the match at Extreme Rules. Maybe they'll wait for next month for Hell in the Cell, I think, is the next one up. I don't know. but Oh, no, no. Hell in the Cell can't be because they switched it out with uh, TLC. So maybe it's TLC next month. Whatever. Whatever have you. I'm looking forward to their third match. These guys have great chemistry together. You have Edge who was partially trained by by Bret Hart throughout his career and has kind of a kind of similar but different type of wrestling style. And then you have Seth, who's kind of like a Sean-ish wrestler. A lot of people compare him to Sean in the ring. They just, that style, when you have the wrestler versus the aerial artist, it just works out and makes good shit in the ring. And I love that spear out of nowhere. There was a lot of good parts in this match, Chris, I think great match by two great performers uh do you you think seth rollins heard the rumors about you know indie wrestlers who are small over 30 getting fired (laughs) he just sit in a broom closet for a little while like crying Uh, yeah uh i hope they put him and uh becky together i mean if she's gonna be a heel you might as well put her with him and have them have a heel couple that would actually work that would actually work, because yeah, he's get, he gets way more heat than Becky, so it would give her a rub as a heel. He could help her in her matches, etc. Not that Becky needs help like wrestling wise, but you get what I'm saying, like on the outside, running interference and shit, and and being the king of drip. Uh, yeah, good match. I mean, it's Edge and Seth. I wouldn't expect anything less. I also just love that. What is it called? Is it the educator, the the inverted uh, sharpshooter that Edge does? That's a really cool looking submission, and he can easily get right into the crossface from that. And now he's doing like a fucking like he took out Seth at SummerSlam. He's doing like a sleeper hold crossface 
Like, he's definitely taking up his technical level to a degree now. He is, but do you think Christian calls him after every time he faces Kenny Omega and he's like, I had a better match, bud? <laughs> I'm sure they're competitive. I, I love the fact that both of them get to come back from their career-ending injuries or whatever and do this big of stuff in two different companies, just like they did beforehand when they arguably had the best years in their wrestling career on the two opposite companies at the time as champion. You know, it's it's pretty awesome. And when it's all said and done, who do you think has had the better comeback, Edge or Christian? Oh, Christian, 100%. But he, he also got two matches with Kenny Omega, so it's not really fair. And, and Edge got stacked like fucking courtwood uh, <laughs> remember mania that's not necessarily that true come him back and daniel to... bryan him and daniel bryan were stacked on top of each other pin <laughs> like i'm saying man roman once he beats once he beats and i really think me and you are kind of opposite once he beats uh finn balor and and and, and brock lesnar that's going to be a, a huge statement like just unstoppable Ed, Ed just had to get a comeback, but he had, he had that terrible match with Randy, and then the greatest match of all time, as WWE proclaimed it, with him and Randy, which was an okay match, right? Christian yeah. had two matches with fucking Kenny Omega that were better than anything Edge has done so far. His so, match with Frankie Kazarian was better than either of the matches that Edge had with um, Randy Orton, to me. And that's a very similar pairing. <laughs> That I mean, they're very different statements, but I think Christian has the Christian has the title right now, so I'm gonna say he had the better <laughs> comeback of the two. Yep. Still, a, still a cool question. Like I said, the fact that we have Daniel Bryan back, the fact that we have Roman Reigns back, Edge and Christian, especially for you know, given the time, it's pretty awesome. Um, but let's keep on going. It, so it's we, someone to watch out for in the next few months, though, because like I said, I think they're going to go with a transitional champion. If they're going to do Rock versus uh, Roman, Edge is someone to watch out for because he could be that transitional champion to Mania, or he could actually win the Rumble to whoever has the title. So he, I mean, Edge has been great since he came back. I, I don't know that anyone gets a bigger pop than Edge outside of like CM Punk. Yep. All right, SmackDown Tag Team Championship match, the Usos versus Street Profits. Um, but, I mean, this was Roman came out when his cousins were getting their asses kicked and they were laying on the floor outside. He decided to just sit and watch with Paul Heyman. And when the match looked like it was going in the favor of the Street Profits, he came in and just destroyed him. Um... Yeah, that's that's it. He uh, applied the guillotine to Montez Ford. Referee called for the bell. And then Reigns grabbed the microphone and accepted Lesnar's challenge from earlier in the night. Uh, only for it to go dark. And the demon Finn Balor's music kicked in along with way too much smoke. Whoever had that smoke machine should have been punched in the face. Because you can even see fucking <laughs> Finn's entrance. God damn it. But too much fog. Fog, man. Way too much fog. It was like fucking San Fran goddamn Cisco over there. London or some shit. Um, I'm glad you said that because I immediately thought of the story where Undertaker accidentally got set on fire when I saw this entrance. It's like, well, okay, guys. We, we Finn has a bunch of stuff where he comes up and comes down, 
can't even see what the hell he's doing. You know, it looks like smoke with like a little bit of the jester hat coming out of it. But either way, the demon makes his presence. Roman at Extreme Rules will be facing this version of Finn. And he is undefeated at pay-per-views as this version of Finn. I personally don't see him. I think Roman's going to feed the demon his first loss. But I am very happy this version of him is back. Like I always said, though, this is like WWE. It's like Finn can lose all the, all, you know, as many times as he wants. But when he comes back as the demon, it's like they have the ultimate warrior for a pay-per-view. He's unstoppable now, and he's got makeup on. But whatever. Getting past that. Finn's version of why this brings out, like, his anger is because of, like, the old Irish heritage of, like, you know, in, in Scotland, the same thing of war paint and stuff like that, like, puts you in the perspective and the zone. And WWE was like, we're going to take Irish and put in a demon concept, and you just get taken over by a demon. You know, just stupid shit. But I love it. It's just an aesthetic. I, I don't know. Finn is like the modern Keiji Muto, great Muta, man. It's just when he uses this. And I wish he would use it more, but I understand why he doesn't, because it's a shit ton. But, you know, it's it's going to be cool to have the Demon versus Roman Reigns. Yeah, I, I'm still thinking that's going to end up being a three-way when Finn gets the title as transitional champion, like I predicted earlier. But yeah, it was really cool to see the Demon again. Madison Square Garden, big lights on him. Demon comes out. Pretty, pretty cool. I wish that they would change the makeup up a little bit. They have the WWE demon, but like his new Japan shit, like where he had like carnage or Joker stuff and Joker and stuff. Punisher. Yeah. Like Penta, like Penta does, right? Like, yep. Change, change it up. I I get that he is the demon or whatever, but like, it'd be cool if he changed it up. And he used to do that with his entrances in NXT. Like he did a Texas chainsaw massacre, gimmick he did a uh jack the ripper jack the ripper oh that yeah. was awesome it's it's pretty good shit so they need to get back to that for me to care about the demon because otherwise it's just uh prince devitt with face paint on yep i can agree with that but uh just because of the concept that's a big deal for roman he's he's got some uh whether even if he has like brought by himself, say in Saudi Arabia, or this three-way with Brock and Demon Finn, or if it's just Demon Finn, he's got some fucking opponents to beat in the future, Chris. I mean, one of the best matches we've seen with Brock it was Finn. So when they brought Brock back, do you think Brock was like, I want to work with Finn specifically? Because if that's he's the, the traditional, one who, dude, a lot of people <laughs> don't realize. Uh, I forgot who who said it. Might have been Paul Heyman in an interview, but. All the smaller guys, Brock picks those guys. He wanted to work with Daniel Bryan. He wanted to work with Seth Rollins. He wanted to work with Finn Balor. You know, um, I don't even know uh, the whole Kofi Kingston things for another day, actually. I don't even fucking want to get into that. But I don't know if that was Brock's want or if that was, unfortunately, Vince's want. But that should have yeah. been just as competitive. But, if I mean, if they do the three-way match, if if – if they do have the Rock for Mania, the the belt's got to come off for Roman. And uh, you know what's a good feud? Brock versus Finn because they had a great ass match. I I still think that was one of the best matches. Was it last year? Yep. Yeah, what I if, think that I think that match was fucking slept on by a lot of people. We put it over on our show, but a lot of people just slept on that fucking match. I thought it was really 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 good considering what Brock is and what Finn is and their ability Finn's to meld together was kind of crazy 
you know, you look at his NXT stuff, he had really good matches, but his match with Seth Rollins, even though he got injured at the end at SummerSlam, was an awesome fucking match. His match with The Miz and Seth Rollins in that three-way ladder match uh, was one of my favorite matches at that WrestleMania for the Intercontinental title. Uh, his match against AJ Styles that was put in, you know, because Bray couldn't or got that, um, he got whatever respiratory disease, I forgot what it was, or whatever he got. He couldn't come in, basically, and they put Demon against AJ, and they've only done that match once, and I would love to see it again uh, because they had unbelievable chemistry for the short amount of time they were able. He's and Brock Lesnar. He's he's put on some damn good matches. It just sucks that he was a Universal Champion for like a day and a half. And that's it. But he can always claim being the first one, so I guess that's something. I guess. Yeah, but they rely way too much on that. Him getting a big win and like a three-way match for the title might revitalize his career as far as WWE goes. But to like WWE fans, he is a guy that got injured, then came out wearing rainbows and shit, got murdered, and then sent back to NXT. Yeah. So he I think he like like I said, I think he's a great transitional champion, much much like Kofi. I think Kofi could have had a, a longer run, and I wouldn't even call him a transitional champion, but we kind of knew what it was with the Saudi shows coming up and stuff. Like, we knew he was going to get murdered after Mania. but We just didn't want it to happen, but we knew it. <laughs> yeah, we knew it was going to happen because WWE. But uh, Finn could, I mean, like, if he wins in a, th- I'm assuming they're going to do a three-way match. And he can win without necessarily winning and be a good transitional champion. If that makes sense. Like, because Roman and Brock are going to kill each other, right? So all Finn has to do is, like, get the pin. <laughs> Hit the stomp and get the pin on one of them. Do you think Brock would actually take a pin from Finn? Yeah, Brock don't give a fuck, dude. Yeah, you just tell him <laughs> what to do, he'll do it. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean... I know that Brock has this personality that people think like he's an asshole, but like Brock has called a lot of losses to various people. It's I don't think he cares that much about wrestling. He cares about getting fucking paid. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think Brock looks at it as a business thing, and not only that, he knows where he is, and he realizes that when he was younger and up and coming, he fucking he would he would have murdered Stone Cold if they actually had that match before Austin was like fuck that let's do it on a pay per view why the hell are we doing this on Raw but he beat Hulk Hogan destroyed him fucking made him tap out to no made him pass out to a bear hug he beat The Rock like he was beating title. everyone yeah like at like twenty you know, something yeah and, I, and like I said I don't think Brock has any Brock already knows like it doesn't matter his music hits people are gonna be excited because it's Brock at this point. So, like, I don't think you would have any problem putting Finn over, honestly. Especially because he likes working with the guy, and that's why they had a good match. I mean, you put John Cena over. If you're going to be pissed about anything, you're Brock Lesnar, you're going to do a fucking John Cena match, you're like, am I really going to put John Cena over? <laughs> After I suplexed him 25 times? Talk about dumb dumb booking. And murdered him. <laughs> Yeah, Brock Lesnar murdered the guy, and then John Cena wins on, like, the next pay-per-view because of stairs and a John Cena chain. Like, Brock doesn't care. Just tell him what you want him to do, which is why they should have had him lose to fucking Samoa Joe. 
and had Joe be champ. Well, that's you know, now we're dating ourselves. How long have we been doing the show? It's like we're almost five Several years, years now. now. Yeah, I would <laughs> yeah. say so. Yep. All right. Well, let's go over all out. Did you like my Excalibur? The Butcher, the Blade, all out. Oh, that hurts, I, my, that hurts well, my throat. While we're talking about comment, commentary, JR was fucking great on this show. Yeah, he was. He was He was great on the paper. Just hearing him go, it's Adam Cole, baby. <laughs> was, was by itself amazing. His commentary on the cage match, which we'll get into later, some of the best. Like, especially because there's some ridiculous shit in that match, but it 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 came off as like it's gotta be kind. <laughs> like it's gotta be kind. That man's got a family. Damn it, <sighs> he had like a lot of great Jr. moments. <laughs> no, I I completely agree with you. I thought Jr. was killing it in this pay per view. Actually, everyone on commentary was killing it. I. Just thought it was an excellent pay-per-view, man. Um, this has to go up there. I don't know. I'd have to look over it, but honestly, I think this might be my favorite pay-per-view from them since not all out, but all in the first thing, which is not really technically AEW, but start to finish, aside from the bathroom match, which unfortunately uh, Mr. Paul White was a part of against QT Marshall, uh, just... There's only, like, I think three, not critiques more so than complaints that I have for this. Two or three. That's it. I love this fucking pay-per-view, Chris. It's fucking great. It's one of the best pay-per-views I've ever watched. If if you're talking about start to finish and every match being good, it it's up there. It, it was amazing to watch. It's really fun to watch with my nieces. Um, you had a great experience, know, though. <laughs> with your nieces that's awesome well yeah well they cried when darby lost so i don't know if it was that great and one of them couldn't deal with pentagon bleeding <laughs> ridiculously yeah jesus christ was like uh, i i was so sad that jr didn't throw in he's bleeding like a stuck pig <laughs> i was really sad that 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 didn't happen um no, man, it was it was a really fun time, and it's it's one of the best pay per views I've watched. Like maybe that New Japan show with Kenny Omega, the first the first one, Wrestle Kingdom Eleven. Yeah, but I I don't even know if that full show was as good as the show because I'm mean, this start to bottom this was very good. Even the Paul White match, which you called the bathroom match, which is funny. Um, <laughs> Big Show was great in it. For a guy that can barely move, that just had like a crazy hip surgery, uh, he did what you would want Big Show to do, which is whip ass, slap people with his giant ass hand, and choke slam a guy. And it was perfect. Like, <laughs> he's really good at doing that. Now I just want them to get Mark Henry. Put Mark Henry and a Big, big Show together as a tag team. Let's do that. Yeah, and I also like that tweet. I, I know he's just booking himself, and I have no clue where he's going to end up. I think he just got off the uh, non-compete concept, but the Bron- Bronson Reed saying, me and Big Show should be the modern uh, colossal con- connection, uh, harboring back to Andre with, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, uh, Haku. I was like, ooh, I do kind of like that idea. 
And that gives Big Show a chance to fucking take breaks and let this new young, you know, Polynesian monster fucking destroy people and then tag him in to get the choke slam. That would be fucking incredible. Like I said, I mean, you know, we we're not fans of QT Marshall. He sold his ass off for Big Show, though. He's a good wrestler. He was good. Like, he really sold everything Big Show had. He was perfect for a four-minute squash match, which is what that match was. And uh, he made Big Show look like a a bazillion dollars, which is all you can ask for. So, like, I still hate QT Marshall as a character, (laughs) but he worked his ass off to make a good Big Show match. And, you know, if they're only going to use Show for stuff like this, like one-offs, um... That that's the best way to use Big Show. Yep. All right. So we had starting off on the pre-show a ten-man tag team match. We had the best friends Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, and Wheeler Yuta going against Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus with Marco Stunt in their corner. Uh, going against the Hardy family, consisting of Matt Hardy, Private Party, uh, and the Hybrid Two. Oh, and the Blade. So there was there was a lot of people in this match. I honestly, uh, I mean, I watched this match. I'm sure there was a lot of fun spots. I just don't remember. The only thing I could say is I'm just glad that, you know, even if it was, and they had a great match last night, so Pac and Andrade might not have been on this, but we got something to make up for it. Um, this wouldn't have happened, obviously, if that era didn't happen. So I was glad that Jungle Boy and Orange Cassidy specifically uh, had a chance to be a part of this pay-per-view, but it was less than 10 minutes, and the good guys went over. Chris, do you remember what happened this match? I remember there was a spot where there was two of the heels in the ring, and Orange Cassidy gave them the little kicks. <laughs> I remember that happening. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing to come out of this match, yeah, the good guys won. Um there was a chicken fight, like a pool chicken fight at one point. Do you remember oh, this? my God. I do remember that now that you mentioned it. Uh, Luchasaurus and um, uh, Jungle Boy, right? Against, yeah, um, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, and I can't remember the other Matt side. Hardy and, I think, and Helico. Yeah. Sure. And... Um, that was that was fun. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the good guys got the win, and the biggest thing was like them bringing back the butcher. Which, by the way, if they book the butcher right, like he could be incredible. He just has that guy has such a fucking great look. And he's oh, in an awesome guy. fucking band, dude. You know? Yeah, and they're uh, putting him in a hair versus hair match, and I'm like, against nah. Orange Cat, like who cares about Orange Cassidy's hair? Don't don't cut the butcher's hair, damn it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big fan of Andy Williams. I love Every Time I Die. So this was a dream of his, and he's from Buffalo, uh, which I lived in, unfortunately, for three years. Um, So (laughs) the Blade actually uh, taught him uh, a lot of what he knows and, um, you know, became a tag team on the Indies with him. But he just was on tour with Every Time I Die. I think that's the reason why he was out, and he was nursing an injury. So uh, good to see him show up at the end. That was definitely memorable that I forgot. Yeah, it, I mean, if the Butcher was in the 70s, he'd be, like, over as top-tier heel champion across. Holly Race would be like, I like this guy. We're talking about God. fucking Brock Lesnar. Look how fucking big he is. His crazy hair and shit. Must He's wearing a model baffling. <laughs> looks like, he looks like an evil version of the, 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 the Monopoly guy. All right. 
That, that's not even that's not even Harley Race. Harley Race is more like 70s. it looks like a version of the Monopoly guy. He'll kill you. I think I've told you this story offline before, but the time I met Harley Race. Didn't you say he was cool as shit? He he, he one he was cool as fuck. Like he was really really cool. And uh, I was talking to some other wrestlers, etc. We're at a bar at the Atlanta Marriott, which is for people that know that's not actually Atlanta. It's like way past the airport. It's the airport uh, uh, <laughs> hotel. So, um, no, nah, I was I was just kind of joking around. I was like, maybe I should get some wrestling training. And Harley's like, shit, I can train you. <laughs> Damn, dude. <laughs> but like at this point, Harley was done. This is like 2012, 2013. So Harley was like already done. They're like. Harley, don't even kid around about that. You know this guy's going to stalk you. <laughs> hey, man. Dude, Harley, some of the guys they train, not too bad. Nick Aldis, you know, Trevor Murdoch, the current NWA champion, uh, partially CM Punk, and a guy named Tommaso Ciampa. So I don't think he did a bad job at all when he was training. Yeah, well, no, but training me, <laughs> that's like... <laughs> That would you'd be, be a you'd be a great wrestler, <laughs> Chris. I'd be his worst fucking student. <laughs> you you would he would beat the living shit out of you. Could you imagine what he would do to me? I would cry every day. <laughs> Harley just the, punched me in the back of the head. So, one of the most interesting people, not to go off on a rant, but one of the most interesting people I met and kind of how that conversation started is I was talking to Eddie Mansfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is known for 60 minutes of exposing the, the business. And the, and that's how that all happened. And he's a super nice guy, by the way. Um, he, he gets a lot of shit. <laughs> and Steve Williams and him did a, uh, a Q and a at the show I was at where they, they talked cause they were in a tag team previously. Um, Dr. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Death. No, 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 not Dr. Oh, Death. Who's the guy that slapped the shit out of John Stossel? The guy from 60 Minutes. Oh, uh, Dr. Schultz. David yeah. Schultz. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, no, they did the Q&A together because one broke the business in question marks, and the other one slapped the shit out of John Stossel. And one broke John Stossel's <laughs> face. <laughs> yeah, he broke his ear. Um. Yeah, no, so anyways, that's that's all that happened. Long story short, guys. Me on Twitter if you want to talk about it more. Manny Fernandez uh, likes beer. Jimmy Snuka only drinks Budweiser because he used to work there as a kid. Those amazing stories of the road. Chris was on the road with wrestlers for a long time. He actually used to interview them while they were driving. There's some stuff on YouTube. Just, I'm just kidding. I, w- I wish that was the case. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, I wish I would have thought about it more now, but then would they have told me those stories if they knew they were on camera kind of thing? Just be all, like, sleazy like that one shoot interviewer guy that got everyone to shoot, you know, was back in the day. My, uh, my, the favorite wrestler I've ever met or favorite professional wrestling personality is Deborah. Deborah McMahon. She's a fucking sweetheart. The greatest of McMichael? all time. Yeah, Deborah McMichaels, <laughs> the queen herself, sweetheart, married to Stone Cold, known for her puppies, if you're Cherry the King Lawler. 
sweet, sweet person. She actually bought me a beer. Great. She she's my all time favorite of everyone I've met. I think I you know, I, I don't know all of the, the people that you met, but I think she would have been my favorite too. To be honest with you. Oh, it's not it's not it's not weird. It's not weird like that. God dang I'm just uh, saying, for me personally, I don't have a wife, so I, I could just, you know, I, I'd I'd be looking direct eye contact. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not a jerk. But um, she got she got really hyped about me talking about her as a heel manager in WCW. She's like, oh, you remember that? And like she was like really happy about that. She was great. <laughs> her in that stupid blue dress with the fucking. What was it? Crown. Uh, the, the crown on and shit. Yeah, yeah dude. Yeah. <laughs> so she was hyped that I knew about that. It was fun. Also, I met the crying wrestling man. That guy's a really good dude. He's from Georgia. Hell yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the actual card itself. Miro, Eddie Kingston for the AEW TNT Championship. Thought this was a banger, man, to start off with. Um, oh and I love. God. Such a good fucking match, dude. Seriously, dude. I loved their chemistry was great. This might, and I don't know how you feel. I think this was Eddie's best match when it comes to in ring out of anything. His selling was great. His suplexes were perfectly timed. He's got a great punch. That's always been one of the best things about him. But Miro and him really worked well together, Chris. And Miro won, but they're going with the story of since he got fucked over. They're going to keep on going, and like I predicted, I feel like Eddie... And, by the way, I think I predicted a majority of this match. Uh, the battle royal was off, but the person I picked was with the person I said would be the other person that might win. So we'll, 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 we'll get to there. So things were a little bit different, but I was damn accurate on this damn pay-per-view. So I just want to put myself over. But um, how'd you like this match? It's because it's a well-booked show. I think me and you both were number... like. 90% on our predictions of what would happen for this pay-per-view. Uh, it was a great match, man. I, I think a lot of it should go to credit for Miro. There's something to be said about knowing how to work the WWE style, because that's what he did with Eddie Kingston. They just had a WWE match, and it was very, very good. And uh, there's one part where Eddie channels his inner Terry Funk in this. He bounces out of the corner, and he throws the fist up. And he just starts jabbing Miro in the face. It, it was great. I, I love the throwback. Good match. Can't wait to see Eddie King. I love the biting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome, too. Eddie Kingston's winning that title in uh, New York, as as you called it. That's a that's a far prediction. But Arthur Ashe, Kingston walking out there with the belt. And also redeemed these nuts. <laughs> Redeem D's nuts. Great stuff. Ordered, great feud. I, I, I ordered that shirt, by the way. I could. I could Hell not yeah. Have, I could not not have that shirt. Yeah, Eddie's climbing as one of my favorites. Definitely one of my favorites in AEW. Like I said, last time when I was kind of just thinking out loud. I'm thinking out loud. Sorry. Um, there is a lot of similar story of career I would say with Eddie and uh, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time I brought him up many times Dom Dallas Page um, just where they came from kind of being their late 30s early 40s when they're getting finally big 
after being trying wrestling and also doing managing and, and being someone that people knew completely different in ring style, but this baby face kind of like a New Yorker, dusty Rhodes, the everyman, if you will, or, or up North, uh, dusty Rhodes, if you will, I think Eddie's great, man. And he's got those other flares of like, he's obviously influenced by the four pillars from all Japan, Eddie Kendrick, uh, Jerry Lawler, he's talked highly about, gives me a Taz vibe, a Bully Ray vibe, but he is a mishmash of a bunch of great wrestlers, and he is a great modern wrestler. Might not be the most polished in the ring, but I think that he gets a lot of it. He's a great brawler, and he's awesome on the fucking mic, so I hope he does win that, but Miro too, man. Miro's doing some of the best work of his career. I, I feel like Miro is doing a very good job of orchestrating the matches for whoever he faces. Right. Yeah. And I think they did a good job of storytelling of like, I know you're ki- the kink in your armor is your neck after those, uh, tornado DDTs that God, what is the loot store's name? Can't do it. Fuego so, del Sol. Fuego del Sol. Like that's how good Eddie Kingston is. He's like, okay, that's what he did in that match. And that's the spot. So I need to talk about that. It, that's how good he is. And also, like you said, he, I, I don't want to call it like a, it's a, it's not like Dolph Ziggler where it's very obvious. It's like, I love Shawn Michaels, but like the little moment where he popped out of the corner and did the Terry Funk spot with the fists up, like, come get me. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Was Absolutely. So, That's another one. So fucking great. Like, Eddie Kingston's incredible, and when he wins in Arthur Ashe, they're going to burn New, New York to the ground. <laughs> or when um, when uh, he got nailed by something, and he came back, and it didn't really remind me of anyone in particular, maybe Piper, but when he was like, so he got up, but he started just like punching the air, like he was like, where are you? Where are you? His selling's great, man, and it's funny, yeah. and it's fun. <laughs> That's so flair and, uh, <laughs> and, and Terry. It was so great. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. It's it's so good. And I think he did it at one time. Didn't he do the fall of the corner spot? Like the I think player? so. Yeah. Well, he's done it in the past. If it wasn't in this match, I've definitely seen him. At, like, he gets whipped into the turnbuckle. And he comes out like Ric Flair. Like, I'm going to fight you. And he does the front bump. Yeah. <laughs> no, he did do that. You're right. Very it was great attention great. to detail. Yeah, he's he's fucking great. <laughs> and I can't wait until he shows up with the DMX Rough Riders jersey on in New York and wins the title for Miro. They've done a great job of building this feud. Miro's great, by the way. Like I said, I think the past like three or four Miro matches, they're very WWE, but he's very good at that kind of storytelling. And I would say the same thing about Cody Rhodes. His matches are very structured like a wwe match would be and that's not necessarily a bad thing um on a show that has a ton of spots like you gotta remember there's a fucking cage match with pentagon (laughs) and phoenix versus the young the young box later yeah just great shit all right so that was followed by another brawl match with his you know, off and on partner, John Moxley, going against uh, Kojima. It was a good match. Uh, Kojima, I've seen him live recently. 
you know, for his age, he's still kicking ass. Uh, but I think it got overshadowed. So even if, I, I mean, here's Moxley the almost Moxley almost killed him with a fucking suplex to the point where Moxley was worried. He goes for a pin midway through this match. And he's like, "Hey, bud, are you okay?" But Kojima is so good at selling. <laughs> <laughs> like Moxley thought he killed him, he was fine. That was hilarious. It's like five minutes in. Check it out. I remember what you're talking about. I actually did think he was hurt because he is that good at selling. Uh but it it just this match was great. Moxley got the win over Kojima. Kojima was obviously in there because uh something happened with Tanahashi, he had to go back to Japan or whatever. So they kind of New Japan gave him Kojima. And he's a legend, but it didn't matter. The thing that people are going to remember from this match is what happens afterwards. And uh, I'm glad they're continuing this because of the, the amount of time they went over on Dynamite and the Moxley and fucking uh, Suzuki match had like less than 10 minutes for it. So I think they're going to make up for that. So he's sticking around, but uh, I think Kojima is great. I was happy that he went. Uh, he teamed with uh, Eddie Edwards uh, and Impact recently on one of their pay-per-views, and they were an awesome tag team together. I just – why not have Tanahashi say something in a pre-taped thing? You know, so while Moxley's bitching about the fact that, you know, fucking Tanahashi's ducking around and blah, 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 he does it in the ring, and then Tanahashi has a response, and you have the moment that happens after the match – with Minoru Suzuki coming to the ring as the p- opponent that Tanahashi is putting in his place, and then you do that match and actually let it breathe on All Out. That's one of my only criticisms towards this pay-per-view. It's just that even though Kojima's great and they had a pretty damn good match, it was short. Kojima lost, and then no one remembered that by the time you know Minoru Suzuki's music hit. But awesome fucking reaction. It sucks that that got cut on uh, Dynamite itself, I think we're going to get the full thing since uh, Minoru Suzuki's coming back with Lance Archer next week. But the moment itself, Chris, was Suzuki and Moxley at the end of it. And then Suzuki getting the better of Moxley after they w- traded punches and getting him in the sleeper hold and then into the uh, gosh pile driver and leaving him laying. I mean, I to me, I, I remember that way better than anything from the actual match itself. So we should uh, praise our new GCW champion, John Moxley. Oh, and yes, he did beat Mark Cardona. That dumb bastard should not have uh, imitated him because he came in dressed the exact same way, doing the John Moxley shit, and was actually John Moxley, and took out <laughs> Matt Cardona in like two seconds, grabbing the G- G- GCW championship, and now he will be going against Nick Gage for that championship at their next pay-per-view. Um, but this this was a hell of a match. I mean, if you like a fight, that's what this match was. There was, I mean, Kojima and Moxley whipped the shit out of each other. And then afterwards, Suzuki showed up and dropped Moxley on his head a bunch, hit the gotch pal driver, walked out. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love Minoru Suzuki. That's what I took away from this match is how much I love Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> Wish anyone that's listened to this show before knows. But I was like, oh, my God, I love Minoru Suzuki. And I predicted this like two months ago with Minoru Suzuki. By the way, go back and listen to our previous you did. podcast. It's, uh, you definitely did. Great. So I think they're doing a Labors of Jericho thing with Moxley without spelling it out. 
So he's going to continue to be Japanese legends until someone sh- like Tanahashi shows up as the last Japanese legend. He's the final then, boss. I think so. I think they're doing like a Street Fighter final boss or Mortal Kombat final boss kind of thing where Tanahashi is the last guy. I get that at the, whatever their January paper use called. I could see that. That that would be my guess. I mean, well, the final boss is actually Okada, but he's the a secret unlock boss if you beat everyone without losing a round. He's Reptile in <laughs> Mortal Kombat 1. You got to knock someone off the pit, and then Reptile comes out to face you as a mysterious extra battle, and then you unlock him. People probably have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Mortal Kombat had a first game? What? Uh-huh. Yeah, there was no combo system in the Mortal Kombat 1. I can whip anyone's ass on Mortal Kombat. Come fight me in IRL on Mortal Kombat 1. Mortal Kombat 2, my confidence is a little shaken. Mortal Kombat 1 didn't have a, a, a combo system. So being good at Mortal Kombat 1 is actually way harder than being good at the rest of the Mortal Kombat games. Facts. And there you have it. Uh, yeah. All right. So we'll see what happens with that. And we'll get back to that actual fight between Suzuki and, uh, Moxley. Once we go over dynamite next, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD with Jamie Hader and rebel in her corner going against Chris Statlander with orange Cassidy. Um, just a damn good match to you, man. Uh, that one suplex that Chris Statlander did to, uh, whatchamacallit Britt Baker was awesome where she basically, I don't know if Britt wasn't in the right, place or they meant to do this but she basically just lifted her ass up like there was no help from Britt and she just fucking superplexed her off the uh, corner that was an awesome spot but definitely because of stuff and I love how Orange Cassidy tries to like you know get between Rebel and 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 uh and Jamie Hayter <laughs> and uh Chris Statlander like he was gonna do anything but he was getting mad in that match I heard him say really a couple times uh so he was losing his cool Orange Cassidy, but um, you know, nevertheless, that's uh, that, that that's an interesting storyline in general because he snaps and talks and he's like, get in the ring when there was like an eight count. So there's yeah. a weird relationship between him and Statlander, which that's a fun romance. Do you think they're booping? I I hope I, they're booping all the time. I hope like because like, I want to see that that storyline between those two. Because they're both kind of weird characters, if you really, I mean, really, you have to really think about it. They're both weird. Like, it makes perfect sense. Like, they're coming out to, like, the Pixies, and she's booping things. And <laughs> she, at the beginning of the match, when she, uh, they go for, like, the, like, a hammerlock spot, and she grabs Britt's hand and makes it turn to boop her nose, that shit was so... <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> it's fucking great. Statlander is a beast. She is. She's fucking strong as shit. And that suplex it, spot you're talking about, she deadlifted. Oh my god, I'm gonna make myself look like such a nerd. Um, so there's these DC comic characters. They're part of the New Gods, and one of them's Big Barda. She used to be a part of Apocalypse's like upper echelon army uh, called the Furies. They're all female warriors that. Darkseid would get to do whatever, but she went against him because she fell in love with Mr. Miracle, who's the son from New Genesis uh, that uh, his father had to give to Darkseid while they gave him his son, Orion, in order to keep peace for the time being. 
So Mr. Miracle is this really weird wound up dude. And Barda is this huge, beautiful woman. I, I feel like it would be a similar concept with the two of them. Maybe they should put them in a movie for DC. I don't know why I brought that up. Sorry about that, guys. Mm-hmm. So right, anyways, but... the, the Chris Stafford-Cassidy <laughs> relationship you're down with. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of Big Barter and Mr. Miracle. Any comic book fan probably like that, but if you don't know comics, especially that in-depth. Uh, anyways, but yeah, good match, man. Just another awesome match on the card, I would say. And uh, for Baker 1, with her cross face, whatever the fuck. Hey, and guys, don't yell at each other, please. But uh, any any final comments? Oh, sorry, I was yelling at the cats. Uh, no, no final comments. Quit yelling at great. <laughs> Stellinger is great, and uh, she will eventually be that AEW champion. And when we get a little later on, uh, they have created the perfect character to go against Britt Baker if you really want to make her a heel. All right. Well, Lucha Brothers. This match was ridiculous. Penta El Zero Miero, uh, Pentagon, and Ray Phoenix with Alex Abrahantes in their corner going against the Young Butts, Matt and Nick Jackson with Brandon Cutler in their corner. And a my lord, these cages that they use over on AEW are humongous. Apparently, I forgot who was talking about it in an interview. Maybe it was Tony Khan, but they got the cage and the Jackson brothers. If you don't, if you don't want to break kayfabe, you might not want to listen to me. Just peeling back the curtain a little bit. But the Jackson brothers and uh, Pentagon and Phoenix were like, dude, we can't do much off the top of this because they were planning on doing some probably crazy spots up there, and they were like, it's too fucking. It's too big, basically, to do anything. But I thought they, the sparingly amount, first, this match was fucking awesome. Yes, it was a lot of spots back to back to back. But the way they played it out, the fact that both Nick and Ray Phoenix went to the top at one point, and then Ray Phoenix knocked Nick off, and then he got off, you know, that kind of was like, oh, were they going to do it then? And then Ray's huge crossbody at the end of it, which even took out Pentagon, was perfect going right into the package pile driver. Um, you know, Ray Phoenix jumping off and, and pushing into it. Uh, and they won. But this match was fucking nuts. Now, people I like out there are saying this is the greatest cage match of all time. To me, that still goes to Bretton Owen. Um, it's going to be hard to beat that match. I just think it was a very well structured match. And. They took advantage of the stipulations that WWE applies for their version of a cage match. The whole escaping concept because of Owen's position as a heel, getting the family involved. I thought that that has to be my personal favorite. Also, Tully Blanchard and Magnum TA uh, is definitely up there. But this was a great fucking match, man. This really was. They did some crazy maneuvers. I can't even think of everything off the top of my fucking head. I just remember the masks are, are smashed up. They both did a blade job. Pentagon did a little bit too much of a blade job. And then they're training super kits. Blood's going everywhere. You know, it just, it was, it was violent. It was awesome. I had so much fun watching this match. And by the end of it, when Pentagon and Phoenix actually won the tag belts, I was happy. I thought they were going to win. They ended up winning because I didn't really have too much faith in in my prediction, honestly. Because it, it looks weird that the Young Bucks are in the elite now and they don't have tag belts. But. 
I like this. I still think it's transitional. I really could see format LAX, prime powerful, taking those belts, just like Eddie Kingston in New York City, because um, it looks like they're moving on, even though really weird. Them and FTR had, they both had a win and they're not doing a rubber match uh, from at least what Dynamite said. But maybe they're going to be going against Pentagon and Phoenix. I've watched all their matches in Impact. So I know they have great chemistry. And if they pick up the belts in New York City, I think that'll be awesome. I loved Pentagon's interaction with his uh, family afterwards. You know, they are also two belts uh, for being champions. Tag champions in AAA and tag champions in AEW. So just like Kenny, basically, but the tag level. thought this match was awesome. Chris? Match was incredible. So much blood that one of my nieces couldn't watch it, but she wanted to know what was happening. So my other niece had to talk to her and tell her what was happening on the screen. Um, incredible match. Like, I well, let me start with just the entrance of Pentagon and Phoenix. Amazing. I'm glad they actually got the people that do their song. The... Um, the the uh, uh, Aztec headdresses and stuff that was it was fun just seeing them come to the ring and I expected the young bucks to do some kind of cosplay thing because they normally do that at the pay per view but they're heels now so they were like no nah, we're just the young bucks <laughs> basically which I loved <laughs> so just starting from that but uh, them immediately trying to get out of the ring even though you can't win was pretty funny like they're chicken shit you know <laughs> like immediately ran. It just it set up such a good match. Um, easily my favorite spot of the match is Pentagon already bloody as hell slides in front of Ray Phoenix when they're setting up the super kick uh, with the the special shoe that their manager threw from outside of the ring inside of the ring. By the way, that was a great throw. They must have practiced that or something. Good that job, Brandon Cutler. You can do yeah, something right. Color he tossed that thing like he was Tom Brady. Um, <laughs> so when he puts that shoe on, you you look at Phoenix, you're like, oh man, Phoenix is about to get murdered. And Pentagon, as the evil brother, slides in. He's like, no, me first. It was so good. It was it's such a great moment. And um, with all the limitations that you have in a cage match, I think they did a great job of working around those. And um, they save the top spot for one move. Like, outside of Phoenix uh, doing the, like, kind of Spider-Man, Jackie Chan thing off the cage, they didn't utilize the cage for high spots that much. And I think that made the match better. And uh, obviously, you know, when, when Pentagon... When they get the cover and Pentagon goes out and hugs his kids, which, by the way, this is a bad job on commentary for that moment. But that moment was great where he's like telling his kids he's all right. He's like bleeding (laughs) everywhere on them. Yeah. Pentagon lived his best life right then. I, I don't know that I've ever seen him have a better match. He's had a bunch of great matches. That might be the best Pentagon match. I'm not gonna say it's the best Ricky Phoenix match, but uh this was better than their ladder match and in the top three of my favorite cage matches of all time, because I'm including Helen. The first Helen to sell was Sean versus Taker, which is just, it's fucking great. Um, and then I would 
say Battle of Atlanta and then probably this. So like people saying this is the best gauge match of all time. Well deserved. I mean it was a good fucking it was easily the best match on the entire fucking show. Yeah, this was an awesome match. I mean, my two favorite matches I think are the two ones that people are talking about the most. And it kind of sucks because they take away a little bit from the main event, even though that was also a great match itself, but the tag match and the and the punk derby match stole the whole entire fucking thing. But I mean, this was even the battle royal was good. You know what I'm saying? So it's like this was a fun fucking pay per view. Should we continue? Yeah, let's 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 move it forward. But yeah, there there was no, like I said, there's nothing bad on this show. Normally we would be like, you can skip this or not watch this. You should watch this entire pay per view. It's that fucking good. Yep. 21-woman casino battle royal for the AEW Women's World Championship match. So the winner of this gets a match against Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Yeah, the clubs come out. Nikoto Shida, former champion, Sky Blue, Emi Sakura, The Bunny, and Abaddon. Diamonds came out. Anna Jay made her return. Kira Hogan, uh, Kylan King, uh, Diamante, and Nyla Rose, then the Hearts, Thunder Rosa, Penelope Ford, Riho, Jamie Hayter, Big Swole, and the Spades being Ty Conti, Red Velvet, Layla Hirsch, Jay Cargill, and Rebel. Joker was Ruby Soho, and she was actually the winner of this match, but all the women in this, you know, they had a hometown hero concept, which I liked. Uh, I forget who forgot who the person was. Maybe I'm going crazy. I thought they had someone that was from Chicago that was in it. Maybe that was uh, something else. Sky Blue? Maybe it is Sky Blue. Sky Blue's, but she's been in NWA, and I think I've seen her. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I might be wrong. Uh, well, I mean, isn't Ruby from Chicago? She worked in, like, uh, not Stardom. What the fuck is that company? I, th- I think that was the gimmick, is that she's also... Michigan. Oh, okay. No, I thought, I thought it was someone, but I might I might be wrong. Um, I do maybe know right. that Rio fucked up a spot and got eliminated earlier than expected. She she didn't really get eliminated. She got went through the middle fucking ropes. And I, I hope that gets a, uh, you know, I know that she probably wouldn't say anything because her character doesn't really say a lot. But it should be known that Rio, our first champion, uh, got kind of fucked over in this a bit. On accident, but shit happens, and then the refs told her to go, and I even think she was... Maybe their rules are different, but I thought Battle Royal, you have to go over the top rope. She went in yeah. the middle of the ropes. Yeah, that was, like, one of the biggest fuck-ups on the entire show, and Chicago was actually really behind Riho when she got announced, but they bury it. This is the problem with doing it in waves like they do. So by the time she got in the ring, there was other music playing and shit. Um, for other people, so everyone was looking at the ramp, and then she accidentally got eliminated, Stone Cold Steve Austin style. Uh, <laughs> this is yeah. weird. Yep, and uh, Kurashita, man, she got one elimination. She was uh, she was taken out by Nyla Rose. So two past uh, champions, kind of. I know people weren't happy with that. Same thing with Kira Hogan. She was eliminated almost immediately as well 
for for Sheeta, I was happy. I was happy about it because they specifically focused on how Emi uh, Sakura was only fighting Sheeta the entire match. That's a good point. Which was pretty great. Like that's a good feud. And also, uh, Emmy was she looked incredible. I love you, Emmy. Hit me up. Hit, slide in my DMs. Hit hit Chris up, please. Um, but yeah, Abaddon looked pretty cool. The bunny the bunny eliminated a lot of people. Both the bunny and uh, Nyla Rose took out quite a few people in this. I just like that it got down to I see. I know that Jade got taken out by Nyla. And I, I thought the last four was going to be uh, Jay Cargill, Nyla Rose, Ruby Soho, and um, and uh, what should call it? Um, damn it! Was it was it Jade that was having having the issue with her top the entire time? Yeah, she Jade. Like, she posted on Twitter. She's like, "Thank God for fucking um, pasties." Yeah. <laughs> basically. She, Thank God for pasties. That that girl almost exposed herself at least five times. That top did not want to stay on. If J- if fucking Jerry Lawler was on commentary, he would have had a heart attack. He would have <laughs> Jerry been like, God damn it, Jerry, just shut up. They I did got- a good job of not pointing it out on commentary versus Jerry the King, who definitely would have pointed it well, out. Well, after the Anna J comments with Jr., he doesn't say a goddamn thing if girls are on the fucking screen, so... He just doesn't comment on female wrestling at all now. <laughs> um, now, I broke down to what we thought it was going to be, though, which was Thunder Rosa and Ruby Soho. And Ruby Soho, when that music hit, the crowd lost their shit. Yeah, it was awesome. I love that Ruby won. Um, you know, it, Thunder Rosa, I think they'll have time to do that later on. I don't see Ruby taking that title off of Britt Baker. I see Thunder Rosa eventually being like, hey, remember that match? I know it's unsanctioned, but I beat your ass. Like, what the fuck? Why, why are you ducking and dodging me, basically? So I, I feel like Thunder Rosa will probably end up taking that title off of Britt Baker, but Ruby Soho is is awesome. And I'm glad, you know, the added stuff that she even said in an interview. She was, she basically helped train Britt Baker in her early stages, like, you know, like a lot of women in the industry, Ruby Soho kind of helped them out, like Mercedes Martinez and other people. So she kind of knows her from before, and they're throwing that into the storyline. I like that. So when yeah, she walked it's... out, when she walked out, you could tell she was almost in tears of how happy she was and the fan reaction. And uh, like, I'm not gonna say her in-ring work was in. In fact, I would say the best female in this match was easily Thunder Rosa. As far as in ring work, but uh, I mean it was a good little finish, and they they sent the crowd the crowd home happy with Ruby winning, and I could see Ruby beating Britt. Um, I'm assuming they're going to do some tag matches with her and Thunder Rosa versus various members of Britt Baker's crew. Yeah, and then kind of like similar to last night with Rio and um. Who tagged with them? It was Riho and someone else. I can't remember. But I mean, oh, like, stop. uh, yeah, Britt doesn't need the title at this point. I mean, unless you just want her to hold it forever. But I don't know. Ruby beating her out of nowhere would probably be pretty great for that belt. And then you could just build up the feud with her and Thunder and uh, and obviously Britt Baker. But Britt's so over now. I don't even think she needs the title. That's a good point. 
All right, so next match, we had a match where if Chris Jericho lost, he would have to retire from in-ring competition at AEW. Chris Jericho went against MJF, and we talked about this. They kind of got us because I thought there was a chance that Jericho might just be like, all right, I can find a way to get back into it later on in the storyline, but I'm taking a break for a while. I'll, I'm going to do commentaries to promote the shit out of this thing, show up here and there. But Fozzie's, you know, touring right now. I need to take a break and get my body back into it. But that was not the case of this. And I don't know, honestly, if you have a feud and you have four matches, especially if I guess you can consider the stadium stampede a win for Jericho, but not really. But like, you know, he threw him off the fucking cage, then he beats him several times and now Chris Jericho's going to get the last one at the pay-per-view. <sighs> I thought it was a good match. I thought they did everything. I thought Jericho looked good in it. I thought MJF selling was fucking incredible. Um he sold his back after he got that ridiculous power bomb little not to Mr. Kevin Owens uh because he ran at Jericho, Jericho grabbed him in the air and just positioned him and it was at like kind of a curve almost instead of straight on. So he didn't get a chance to really smack it on top. It was literally on the fucking edge of the damn. Yeah. Yeah. They fucked that spot up. Cause I don't think that MJF got up high enough to get both his legs over. He said, Oh shit. What had happened too? It was pretty good. <laughs> and Jericho just was like, fuck it. This is happening. <laughs> but the sound <laughs> with a pop-up power bomb. Yeah, he sold it, but probably because it's easier to sell if it actually does hurt, I guess. <laughs> That's a good point, because Jericho's doing everything. He, his whole thing is he's going to get him in the walls of Jericho and take his ass out with it. And that's obviously mostly on the back, and that's what would inevitably would happen. I just, if you're going to have, and this is my personal opinion, Chris might be completely different and yours might be completely different. But if you're going to have where Jericho gets his boot on on the the fucking thing and it's one two three just have mjf win because that's exactly your way that that jericho can get back into the fucking ring even immediately if he wants to he's like this is bullshit this is this is fucked because cody didn't do that for some fucking reason you know mjf completely screwed him over being in his corner and throwing in the towel because he was a heel but jericho's not going to be like stupid babyface about it i feel like he could be like uh, did you not see this? And then that can kind of be a reason why he comes back into wrestling. So I, I, I feel like MJF should have just beaten him, honestly. Um, Jericho is, you know, now MJF, Orange Cassidy. They beat the hell out of him a couple times, and then the last one, he wins, I guess. Uh, it was a good yeah, match. I mean, it was a good match, you know? I don't fucking know. I don't know. I mean – it was a great match. I think it was a um, not what you would normally expect out of an AEW match, but it was a very good wrestling match. My favorite spot of the match is MJF hits. I can't remember what spot he hits, but then he does the Ric Flair strut. And instead of finishing it, he just humps at the crowd. <laughs> and at one point he puts Jericho in a hammer lock and makes Jericho fake jerk him off. Which was pretty good. That was so <laughs> fucked up. God. He is, um, Jesus. MJF is on a different level of heel right now. Uh, 
it was a great it was a great match. And uh, the only thing I would say is I think the finish itself, the ref kind of fucked up because Jericho didn't get his leg on before the three count. Maybe that's what they were going for. But if you like like when I was watching, I was like, well, Jericho's leg was late or the count was fast or something. It, it looked fucked up to me. I get what they were doing. I liked the reset of the match and having Jericho win. It was good. But this was a toss up, like you said, because it's it's more about does Jericho want to keep doing this <laughs> or does does he want to go tour with his band? Um, I'm going to go back to the intro real quick. I know I already hit the end of the match, but the uh, I'm assuming that the guitar player for Fozzie had some audio issues with how off time that was. Do you think Chris just straight up headbutted him? Like, is he like that with his band members? I don't. <laughs> Afterwards, I, 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 I don't know. But like, I looked at my uncle and I was like, uh, if that's the lead guitar player of Fozzie, then I should be in fucking Megadeth or something because that's it sounds terrible. And I'm not a great guitar player by any means, but it was uh, it was rough, man. It was cool because the fans were into it, but I was, I was like, well. On, you know, Rick Boggs is a thing, for instance. <laughs> like, figure it out. Or Rhea Ripley at, at WrestleMania with her band. Yeah. It's, it, it was just... what I, I'm assuming, and this is a, a big assumption, that he could not hear himself or something did not work because he was so off rhythm. And the crowd were on rhythm with the song. So they'd be like, what would I become? But he was like, three bars behind them um little little side note family moment my nieces were banging on the song they were really going hard with the i become i become i become man which is great so there was that this uh news just in uh fozzy guitarist fired huh (laughs) oh he got fired no i'm just kidding (laughs) All right, well, next match. Uh, Fozzie, Fozzie's a weird band because they're just stuck mojo, but with Chris Jericho as a singer. Well, so, the thing is, they're about to go to the UK. Me. I'm wondering what the fuck he's going to... I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to... Like I said, I think MJF should have won, but he pivoted perfectly, and after Pillman, I feel like I know the direction of where they might be going, so I'm I'm down for it. So we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. Um yeah, I, I thought MJF should have won this match as well, but I thought the pivotal direction they should have went to was uh, Sammy Guevara as like a mentor. Oh, yeah, that would have been good too. They already they still have unfinished business between the two of them for sure. Um, next match, at least singles wise, because I think I like the tag match better. I think this is my favorite match on the card. Um, CM Punk, Darby Allen. I liked everything. I'm glad his sting stuck out of it. It was just two guys wrestling. Uh, it's kind of geeky, but as a musician, as as someone that loves art, it's it's great to see a callback. And there were several callbacks to one of my favorite, definitely my favorite Sean Waltman match when he was the one, two, three kid. Uh, way more than the one with Razor or later on, a lot of the great ones he had in New Japan and um, in WCW and then later WWE again. But uh, one, two, three kid, Bret Hart. Monday Night Raw, like five sequences from that. I haven't seen something like that since All In, where Jay Lethal and um, uh, fuck, I can't remember his name. 
Uh, military guy, high flyer, really, really good. Everyone was worried that, or at least Cody was worried that he, he was messing around with um, Brandy. I can't think of his name. But they did a bunch of callbacks to Ricky Steamboat and Macho Man Randy Savage from WrestleMania 3, and it was awesome. But these guys put it in there so well that if you didn't see someone break it down on Twitter, you didn't. You might have noticed the first one because it's kind of iconic where Brett's like, oh, I guess I underestimated this kid. You know, but they kept on doing it more and more. They even did that part where, you know, uh, one, two, three kid does a front flip to the outside. Darby did a fucking swanton, but these guys fought everywhere. It was I thought Punk was looked great. I mean, it was only 17 minutes, but didn't look like he got winded at all. Uh, and I thought that Darby was performing amazing. He did do the uh, senton whatever the hell where he fucking hits him like a mile, a million miles per hour. Um, and it was a fun match. CM Punk won it. And it was kind of like, you know, Darby almost got him into something. And then he went off the ropes. He went to springboard, got caught, uh, go to sleep. One, two, three, match was over. And it was very flawlessly. The first go to sleep, just like the uh, in the Bret Hart uh, match, Oh, no, 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 that wasn't the Bret Hart match. Oh, the John Cena match that CM Punk had at Money in the Bank. The first one, Darby gets hit in the face and, like, looks – just launches himself to the outside. Um, I really love this match. It was a little bit slower for some people at the beginning of it, but I thought it was a well-placed wrestling match. I love the callbacks to that match with uh, the one 2 3 kid and Bret Hart. Um, and Bret and also Sean were really – you know, happy and surprised that they decided to do that. It's cool to know that they watch, especially Brett. Um, but I loved it, man. And then Sting came out and he shook Sting, or he uh, shook Sting's hand. He helped up Darby. He shook his hand, and Darby looks good in defeat, man. Which is exactly what I thought was going to happen from this match. And CM Punk looks good seven years removed from wrestling. So. I'm going to start it with the vignette that Darby had where he just skydived out of a helicopter. <laughs> what the hell was that? Did you see the? Well, there's a body bag hanging from the helicopter that says best in the world. That's mm-hmm. like flying around from a helicopter. I have no idea what the rest of it was, but it was still a cool, cool imagery. Um, Darby did the Jeff Hardy with his face paint this time. It went all the way down his chest. <laughs> I don't know if you yeah, noticed that. I forgot about that. It was like long branches with ravens and shit. Like it was yeah. it was pretty cool. And I this it's easy to say what of my my one of my favorite things, it was even I guess the match had started, but one of my favorite things in the match is when Darby is like fucking Raven in the corner, basically. He's doing the Raven spot. He's sitting in the yep. corner. And CM Punk just looks at him really hard, and he's waiting for him to get up, and he doesn't get up. And then CM Punk hits the cross leg, like Indian style. Um, which, by the way, I, I don't mean that offensively. That's just that's the sitting position. So he hits the Indian style in the middle of the ring and looks at Darby and kind of does this smirk that only CM Punk can do. And they get up and start the match, and you're like, this is going to be a good match. And they did a very, very, for the first, like, ten minutes, very old-school wrestling match. Lots of rest holds. <laughs> lots of <laughs> lots of grappling. And then you would have, like, little explosions here and there by Darby. 
but that first go to sleep when he bounces out of the ropes, I don't, I don't know for sure, but CM Punk looked like he hit him pretty damn hard on it. But Darby's ability to bounce that far back and shoot himself out of the ropes is ridiculous. And he shot himself out of the ropes like he got hit with a cannonball or something. Um, also, the big charge, like the suicide dive Darby had, I thought was fucking great. He, he launched himself a million miles an hour and CM Punk being CM Punk caught him perfectly and they went through the guardrail. There's a bunch of good spots in this match. I thought they set it up really, really well. And I think everyone knew that CM Punk was going over, but they were like as a as two dance partners, so to speak, they were able to get the crowd to cheer for Darby in the middle of that match. So it wasn't in like Chicago. 50, 50. It wasn't 50 50, but some of that crowd was like, let's go Darby because the match was so good and, and got some fight forever chance and um, good. In fucking Chicago. CM Punk's yeah. debut back into wrestling in Chicago and Darby was getting a reaction out of the audience naturally. Which he should have been because he fucking worked 90% of that match for Punk. <laughs> but um, you're damn I mean, right. That's all. It's all Punk has to do, right? Like, you put him in there with someone that's really good, He's Punk's going to be good. It, it, I think it was, considering that he has been gone from wrestling for seven years, it's a great match. Um, but if you don't like slower-paced matches, this one might offend you a little bit. Because this is slower-paced. If it you... Than, uh, this is slower pace than Miro versus um, earlier in the show, Eddie Kingston, which was a very methodical old school brawl type match. And this one was even more so, but it was a great match. It just depends on your style of wrestling. And I feel like AEW fans, they, um, and I don't mean this in a mean way, even new Japan fans, you want things to be really, really snappy with modern wrestling. And that's not what this match is. They save it. Much like you said, like with uh, like, like Brett and Sean Waltman, they save those spots. Uh, which this match is not a carbon copy, but that example is very, very good of what that match was. And for CM Punk to not wrestle for seven years and come back and have that good of a match, it it shows how one how good fucking Darby Allen is, <laughs> and two that CM Punk still got it to some extent. And I'm still not a huge CM Punk fan, so. You'll never be. Because he's the best in the world! Um, yeah, I thought this was... I, I, did, I did like he didn't hit an elbow drop. <laughs> yeah, he, I, I thought about that. I'm like, I'm, I'm assuming Chris is happy he didn't try the elbow drop. Who knows? Maybe because he's been so far removed from it. If he tried it this time, he would have put too much force on his elbow as opposed to his legs like you're supposed to do it and would have just nailed the fuck out of him, you know, right in the sternum on accident. I, I was kind of sad we didn't get a Pepsi plunge. So maybe he's saving Me that. Me too. I want him to do that and, like, you know, it would be fun. That's all I'm saying. But, uh, yeah. What, real quick before we transition from this match, did you see on Twitter he was like, what kind of ring dish should I wear? trunks shorts or pants and then like 
it was overwhelmingly Trump, like Trump, like his old wrestling trunks. And then he just took it down off of Twitter. Obviously, he doesn't want to do that because I'm sure it's a pain in the ass to have to fucking shave your legs constantly. Yeah. Um, most ladies probably understand that. But yeah, I, I don't kinda, think he got the answer he wanted. He would, I was kind of hoping he would show up. Uh, like also Twitter shorts is the right answer. We need CM Punk out here with baggy NBA shorts, just like he was in Ring of Honor versus Eddie Guerrero and, uh, and Rey Mysterio. Yeah, that's a good point. And by the way, it was Flip Gordon that Jay Lethal went against, where they took all from that uh, Ricky Steamboat and Macho Man match. Anyways, um, yeah, but probably my favorite singles match. And the last match was really fucking good, too. But we talked about Paul White, Keithy Marshall. Paul White won. It was three minutes, ten seconds. Anything else to add on to that, Chris? No, I mean, outside of that's the way you should use the big show at this point in his career. And I don't know how WWE fucks that up so hard. And I would love to see Mark Henry in a similar role at some point. Just a, it, it was a good squash match to give you some levity between matches. There was a lot of good shit on this show. And this match was not bad by any means, but it was meant for people to take a breather of everything that's happened on the show. So the big show is basically just doing big show stuff. <laughs> Pretty much. I hope they put him and Mark Henry in a tag team. Zach <laughs> them started smashing. Who the fuck is gonna be able to beat those two guys? Jesus Christ. That's like that's like Andre and Vader in a fucking tag team. Which Jesus. would be amazing. <laughs> you get you get like Japan Andre and Japan Vader in a tag team. Rest in peace tag team division. <laughs> God damn! Now I'm gonna. Now you know exactly what match I'm gonna fucking make on 2K19 after this. Uh, All right. Um. Let's continue to the main event for the AEW World Championship. Kenny Omega, Christian Cage. Oh man. So this was an awesome match. It really was. I think kind of like the Minoru Suzuki though. The ending and what happens afterwards was so big, especially the back-to-back and where they went with it, which was, I think, brilliant booking. Um, It kind of just – I think it was a bigger event than this match itself. I thought this was an awesome match between the two guys, but I knew Kenny was going to win. There was no way that Christian was going to get a second win out of him, but they had one hell of a match. Christian looked great in it. Uh, and their styles, I think, just added up. It's it's been it's been really good to see Kenny get away from just what I saw him with the New Japan style, and kind of now he's been forced to get out of his comfort zones. And throughout the duration of time that he's been champions for three different promotions with you know different people, he's changed it up and been able to morph for each wrestler. Which is, I think, what Dave Dave Metzler said was he, he compared him. From from uh from a Randy Savage early on, the fact that you could put him against anyone, and he was just a fucking wrestling machine, and the buzz on him uh, before coming to WWE, that type of concept. So in that regard, yeah, I have to agree. I love Kenny Omega. I don't think there's there's not much that you can say negatively. Even even Jim Cornette's fucking co-host Brian Last, he can't he couldn't take away from this match. 
Uh, the tables. Uh, that to me was a little annoying because of the fact that like I get that they didn't hit directly a person, but if you put a table on top of someone, which just happened in the first Okada match, uh, and then go and do a stomp to it and fucking stomp right through it, which could not have felt good, and then later set another one up and have someone go through it. Uh, I don't know. I think that should be a DQ, but I had to say whatever. Uh, as far as the match and the in-ring work, I thought it was well done. And they had that type of concept that I said that both their finishers, you know, later Kenny kind of proved it to Christian, but Christian proved it to Kenny when he beat him for the Impact title. They both can transition easily into the other person's finisher, and that kind of came up a couple times. But one wing angel and a win for Kenny Omega. And we'll go into the uh, stuff that happened afterwards uh, and then kind of breeze through uh, Dynamite and uh, Rampage for the uh, after effect of this. But what do you think about the match itself, Chris? I thought it was a great match, and Christian was incredible. And, and, and Kenny He's is so obviously good always going to be incredible but like i was very impressed by how good christian was in this match the table spots i didn't have a problem with because commentary did a good job of explaining like no the ref could call this but if he does christian won't win the title so it's almost like the ref was on christian's side a little bit like he knows how much this match should mean and that's a lot like red shoes in new japan and if you were consistent with that kind of thing of the ref making a discretion on what they're going to call and what they're not going to call, that's a great way to book it. Because, like, like does anyone want to lose a Super Bowl because of a offsides penalty or something? You know what I mean? So it's it's it was I liked that they built that in the commentary. So I didn't have as much of a problem with the table spots. That's the the problem I had with the table spots, actually is the spear that Christian hit because Omega didn't go far enough. So they landed directly on where the fucking table legs are. So the Oof. table broke all weird. Um, outside of that, uh, a, a bunch of interference and stuff as we expected. And uh, Kenny hits an avalanche one. Christian is 47 years old and he's like one of the craziest people of all time taking that concussion avalanche. issues. Yeah, taking the avalanche one-winged angel at 47 years old. Like, will you do that? He's like, yeah, sure. Why not? Love Christian. I mean, I'll work everybody, I guess. <laughs> Maybe you don't need to take that spot. It was great. It was a good finish. And, uh, yeah, no one's kicking out of that. No one's kicked out of the one-winged angel. They're definitely not kicking out of the avalanche one-winged angel from the second rope. Um, great. I, and uh, just for normal aftermath, Don Callis is, is amazing. Don Callis in the entire match is amazing when Kenny gets hit with a big move and Don Callis takes his jacket off and starts waving it on him <laughs> like as a fan. <laughs> <laughs> just little, little bitty things that Don Callis is doing is so fucking great. And uh, yeah, no, it was, it was an incredible match. It was my second favorite match of the night. Which I, I'm sure you have. Will you, will you have uh, Darby and CM Punk as number one? Nope. Uh, tab match first. Uh, Darby and Punk to this three. Okay, mine. so our two and threes are swapped. 
but yeah, it, it was a great match. And like I said, everything on the show was really good. Like this is one of the best pay per views I've watched in a very, very, very long time. This is my favorite pay per view that I've watched since All In. And I rewatched that recently, and I was like, this is such a fucking good pay per view. Outside from the Joey with the dick dolls or whatever the fuck with the Adam Page thing afterwards, um, the whole thing top to bottom was great. But this same thing, top to bottom. Um, I'm always going to kind of consider, I know double or nothing, it could be debated, maybe revolution, but to me, this is their biggest pay-per-view of the year because it reflects off the first all in. And to me, this is their WrestleMania where I would say their double or nothing is their SummerSlam. Yeah. I feel like they're trying to avoid that conversation because I mean, that is kind of a negative thing right like where if people know that your big pay-per-views are only two of them so why would you tune into the other ones kind of thing so i feel like they're trying to avoid that but i would agree they definitely went very very hard on this pay-per-view and in the rest of the wrestling world black label pro gcw etc all building around chicago kind of points to this being yes that's their wrestlemania yep and I think all of them, all in and then all the all outs afterwards uh, to commemorate that first uh, wrestling event. Um, they've all been really fucking good. And, and for all out, this has definitely been the best pay-per-view for that. But I think that we definitely need to talk, Chris, about what happened afterwards. Because, you know, it's all about that boom. Um, so we have the elite in the ring celebrating with Kenny. Kenny is excited and ecstatic they've already beaten the crap out of you know uh christian again he's down on the mat and they're all talking and kenny says that there's no one alive or dead that could beat him alluding to probably a storyline maybe on uh, being the elite and then we hear a music unlike his last one in nxt that's so much more similar to undisputed era actually i listened to all of them online and uh, yeah, this one's very, very fucking similar, but still badass. Adam Cole comes out. You know, it's all about the bow. And he comes out. JR says, it's Adam Cole, baby, which was weird, but awesome. Uh, comes to the ring, does his whole entire thing, stare down. And then he hugs, you know, the young bucks. So, so with Adam Cole's entrance here. Don't you wish that it just said it's Adam Cole, baby, with him doing it at the beginning of the song? Yeah, I kind of do. Like, you know, like when Seth yells, burn it down on his old theme song. Like, I think that would have been a banger. But the song is amazing, by the way. It's, it's, it's he got one hell of a pop against the machine. Dude, that's why. And I mean, you know what I thought about, Chris? Rage Against the Machine has to be, if not the most influential one of the most influential rock bands on wrestling themes. Um, you know, maybe Motorhead would be up there too, but they specifically made songs for Triple H. But if you think about it, Stone Cold went to Jim Johnson and said, I want, I want a Rage Against the Machine vibe and showed him Bulls on Parade. Now, the Austin thing is very different, but he wanted Rage sounding. Then you have DX, uh, you know, Undisputed Era, um, and now this rendition of, of Adam Cole's uh, theme music, and I'm sure there's a bunch of others, like, they definitely have a feel that sounds, or even even Y2J's fucking theme music. How, how do you think the Austin conversation went with Jim? He was like, hey, Jim. Hey, uh, hey son. Hey, I think uh, hey, I heard you write I, music. 
hey, Jim, uh, Rage Against the Machine is awesome. This bull's on parade. He plays the whole entire song for him. He goes, that's my theme music. Do something. And then leaves. <laughs> Throws like, a baseball through a window for no reason. <laughs> no re- Throws a baseball, finds two beers that are on the floor, bash them together, drinks it. Jim Johnson's like, I know exactly what I'm writing. He's like, and that's the bottom line. <laughs> what? what? Uh, we we're thinking about uh, sending you out to some Johnny Cash. What? Um, some Hank. What? what? <laughs> Rage against the what? machine. What? Rage. What? Against what? The machine. What machine? Nobody knows. And that's the bottom line. <laughs> Dude, just I love Stone Cold. Oh my God, he's the greatest. <laughs> what sucks is he was gonna fucking interview John Cena, but something didn't work out uh, schedule-wise with one of the movies he's filming, so he can't do it yet. All right, fuck and- John Cena's movies. I was so pissed about this because I was so hyped, especially because it was gonna be the night uh like of all out. So John Cena would be able to talk about the CM Punk stuff with Stone Cold, oh. which I think is the right move to do if you're WWE. And they're like, oh, his plane got delayed or some fucking fuck-ass bullshit. That, that was a WWE call. There is no way. That thing is already probably recorded and cammed, and they just didn't send it, um, which sucks. Yeah, uh, and I'm glad we're getting one with Seth Rollins, but I'm still looking forward to the one with Cena. And for Christ's sakes, there has to be a day you can get fucking The Rock just for a couple hours to interview Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's like Slash on South Park. If anyone's seen the Wunderslash episode where Slash <laughs> is a fake made-up concept from Switzerland uh, in which they tell kids and kid- that's why he's able to you know play guitar multiple times, multiple appearances – you He's know, it's basically it's, Santa Claus, essentially, in the show, yeah. from what I remember. <laughs> it's the same thing. The Rock's doing 20 million things. He can't sit down with his greatest opponent ever and talk about his fucking career. God damn it. Man, Ugh. I was so looking forward to them just straight ahead addressing CM Punk with John Cena. Because it would have been fun. John Cena put people easily forget this. John Cena put over CM Punk in Chicago and let him do the title thing. Yeah, he told didn't he tell Vince basically you got to put this guy over, like yes. stop fucking around basically. Yes. So for all you John Cena CM Punk lover or John Cena haters CM Punk lovers, like we ain't having this conversation if John Cena doesn't put him over in Chicago. If John Cena goes out and beats CM Punk in Chicago, this isn't even a conversation. No. I agree with you. All right. Let's go to – and we're going to uh, just go over maybe the, these a little bit faster because it's been a long show. But AEW was that good. And I uh, apologize. Raw and NXT were abysmal. So that's why me and Chris decided to go around them. Looking hey, forward to next go, week. We'll, we'll go super hard on NXT next week with the new look. I'm excited. Yep. I'm definitely excited as well. So uh, Dynamite started off with Grudge Match, Dustin Rhodes, Malachi Black. I thought this was a great match, man. Uh, the reason why I thought Dustin made Malachi Black uh, look great, and Dustin is definitely good for that. Um, I realized that besides Sting, everyone has face paint on one side of their face in the whole entire fucking company. Think about that. Dustin, Malachi, 
Darby Allen, Chris Statlander, Thunder Rosa. It's always a half part of their face. <laughs> They're lazy. Jeff Hardy's out here <laughs> airbrushing his entire body. So is Finn Balor. Finn Balor's <laughs> yeah. like, I gotta be the fucking demon. Um, fucking Gene Simmons been doing this shit for years. Y'all need to figure it <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but this was a good match, man. And all right, so Malachi Black had been working on Dustin's legs to work on the vertical bash, as Jared would say. Love you, Jared. Uh, of Dustin, basically to get him. So you know, I mean, he's his one of his biggest uh, things is that he's tall. So he was able to take him down a little bit throughout the match. And uh, it sucks because he wasn't able to connect and they had the camera angle right the fuck on it. But I mean, with whatever the hell he calls it in, in this, uh, his his spinning back kick, usually nine, 99.9% of the time, right on the face, usually obviously paint brushing or, you know, kind of it, it looks perfect. But he he hit him into the corner. The exposed corner that he did earlier without the rest knowledge um, and then came and gave him gave, like tripped him and basically sent Dustin into that corner. Dustin goes loopy, gets kicked, falls to the floor. One, two, three. So even though he didn't connect the black mass, Taz did a great job. I love it when commentators don't act like we're stupid. Looking at you, Michael Cole, and addresses the fact that he goes, I don't know if it was the kick that eliminated Dustin in the match. Uh, he didn't look like he connected the way he would normally. I think he was just completely out on his feet when he hit that exposed turnbuckle. So Taz is great on fucking commentating, man. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, so I, I do like Excalibur, quick, but Taz was great. Malachi also missed a kick on uh, Lee Johnson. I know it's been twice in a row, man. Is he like nervous? He never I, missed an NXT. Well, that was going to be my question for you. Do you think that they're building it up as a storyline for when he finally connects with that some bitch and it murders a dude? Possibly. I mean, because you are throwing a kick at a guy's head. Like, there's not. I mean, you have accuracy, but like, you know, you're just kind of aiming at a body <laughs> at some point. So if he connects and Cody's head flies into the crowd. Or something. I'm just, I was just curious because it was like two times in a row where he kind of like whiffed it on their shoulders. And I'm sure he's not trying to lay it in. Like if he's trying to lay it in, he'd probably no. just send the son bitch. Um, but yeah, I, ju I just noticed that and kind of wondered if that was like a thing they're building where it's like, well, he hasn't actually even hit the kick yet. When he does hit it, somebody's going to die. See, that that's very possible. I like that. I would honestly, even if, if they go with that to, like, even make his kicks look that much deadlier, like when he hits on target, it's fucking over. Uh, I wouldn't mind. I know he was doing the Dragon Sleeper as a submission, but maybe get some other type of finisher. He used to some, in the Indies do the might, double stomp. Some might say you should the, do the Muda Lock. <laughs> That would be cool, too. Um, I, I Also, the, he used to uh, do Finn Balor's coup de gras, but, you know, just a double stomp off the top ropes in the indies. He could bring that back in his arsenal. It's not like he's in fucking WWE, where only one I mean, person could do a finisher. Well, except for choking people out, which everyone does. In WWE. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I thought this was a really good match. Dustin Rhodes is incredible i don't know how if you're looking for trainers for nxt when he got released how did you not look at 
the natural Dustin Rhodes and be like, this is the guy I want people to learn how to wrestle from. So I don't know. Fucking that good. Like he, Jesus Christ, he's so good. His promo, we didn't really talk about his promo the other week, but that promo leading to this match was also really, really good. Where he mentioned being the natural. Um, yeah, good. And and everything they've done with Malachi, I think so far is is great. We'll see what they're gonna do with Cody coming back. That's my only worry: is Cody gonna come back with some face pain or some shit? And like, I don't know. <laughs> Cody Rhodes went from being the best baby face in the entire industry to like the Miz, essentially. Ooh, God, the Miz has fallen so much the last couple of years. Yeah, I got to agree with you, though, about Cody. And it's getting to the point if I've even more so than my annoyance with Jericho beating MJF because he still lost to fucking MJF several times before that within the whole entire back and forth between them. Um, Cody, how Brody Lee destroys him. He leaves for a while, comes back, beats him. If he does that with Malachi Black, he better be fucking heel afterwards because I'm totally going to be fucking pissed. Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe you build up. If he does beat him, I'm going to be done with a Malachi Black character. That's what's going to happen. And I think that would be the majority of fans. If Cody shows up and beats Malachi Black after not being on TV for two months to do some fucking reality show on TNT that no one is going to watch. Um, yeah, I'd be pretty fucking pissed. Cody's a great wrestler. I think he, I, like I said, I, I think he was one of the best baby faces in the past two years when they actually gave him a little bit of a run, but Miz syndrome, doing too much shit at one time, like no one's gonna care about you if you're over here doing TV. This is supposed to be your company, dude. Like yep. you slammed the throne with a sledgehammer and was like, I'm the Triple H. Well then be the fucking Triple H. You know who the Triple H of that company is right now? That's fucking Kenny Omega, the guy that shows up and works day in and day out and is the top heel and is the top fucking guy. You're not the Triple H, dude. You're like the road dog right now. Ooh. Oof. I have to agree with you, though. Um, Cody used to be one of the best baby faces, like you said. And I think if I if if I were booking for a little fancy booking, I would have him lose to Malachi Black, take a step back, let Malachi keep on going, have him readjust himself and maybe get into a feud. Possibly on NWA with Nick Aldis, who's not the champion anymore either, and kind of finish their feud. Uh, so give some time to fucking, I don't know. I, I don't care for him so much as a baby face. I kind of want to see a heel turn, but I do not want to see a heel turn after beating Malachi black. I, what I, what, what I would do with Cody is turn him heel after he loses to Malachi black and have him join the elite and do a different version of Cody and then have like some inner bindings and then do something cool with Tony Khan as the AEW guy. I think that would work. Like he has his group of people, which we've already seen with uh, Brian Danielson, um, you know, building that group of uh, his people versus the elite. And maybe like Cody could be the in-between kind of like Sting was with NWO WCW. I would do that because like Cody showing up and beating Malachi Black, no one's going to give a shit about and is going to kill Malachi Black. 
Like Malachi should be out here roundhouse kicking motherfuckers for the next six months. <laughs> yep. I want to see him undefeated for a while. Um, either the elite or even the pinnacle because of the arm connection. I mean, there's that. And I feel like Sean Spears is about to get beat by Darby and then kicked out. And we all see what's going on with Wardlow. So maybe a little shake up in that group. And no, I don't un- see how you could really get MJF and Cody, but you could fucking still do it. Figure it out. Figure it out. Jared Kessler says on Letterkenny, but uh, yeah, either group. The Elite makes a lot of sense as well. Going after Tony is a, is a fun concept. I just, I don't. If he's going to be a babyface still after this, he's definitely got to lose, and he's definitely got to work up uh, to where he was. If he's going to be a heel, he's still got to lose, and then he's got to just go heel, like you said, right off the bat. Um, so if the is the inner circle the one that's going to take down the, the Elite? Is that are they gonna save that to January and then Kevin Owens comes in? Is Jericho's boy? Is Kevin Owens Jericho's boy or the Elite's boy? Because he's got alliance with Adam Cole and the Bucks, but he also does with Jericho. That's a cool angle. Well, they're best friends. (laughs) (laughs) They were best friends. No, well, the last time Jericho and and Kevin Owens were together, he beat the living shit out of him and then beat him at Mania. Uh huh. Yep, that's why Jericho quit WWE. <laughs> Retrospective. Because he hated the concept of not having the title involved. And I don't blame him, it should have. That was the bi- biggest storyline going to that fucking thing, and you put it on Bill Goldberg. Yeah, uh-huh. and who immediately got demolished by Brock. <laughs> Which is, that was good. At least that part was good. <laughs> but that was a good match. It was probably Goldberg's best match out of his fucking career. Definitely in <laughs> WWE. But I, I can Actually, yeah, his match with DDP probably was his best match. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I would say, uh, I don't know, man. That's a good question. Like, who is going to go against the Elite? Because that's building as, a, like, nine people at this point. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you have two tag teams. That's 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 for Kenny, Don Callis, um, who's the guy with the cold spray. Uh, we said it Brandon Cuttlefish. <laughs> yeah, Brandon Cutler. And uh, Adam Cole now it's like almost nine people in that group, so it's all it, it is almost like you need an inner circle or a Tony Khan led group to take down the inner circle because they're building to an invasion angle. The elite, it's, yeah. I'm surprised that it's taken them this long to get there, and um, I don't know. Maybe part of that is CM Punk, Darby Allen, and Steen. As a group. Well, they're trying to get Kevin Nash to sign, too, so he can be a part of it as well. Don't turn your back on the. If everyone comes out with NWO Wolfpack shirts on, I'm going to mark out. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, there's some people that are older than us that act like uh, the Wolfpack was one of the bad sides of WCW. No, it was the last good thing about WCW. You can go fuck yourself. Don't mess with the Wolfpack. You might end up in a body bag. Yeah, well, it was bad as far as storylines go, but Wolfpack was a cool... When they were building it, and it was like, oh, shit, Lex Luger just joined. Oh, shit, Sting just joined. DDP almost joined, but they went off the air before we could find out. Sting showed up with the red and black face paint, I almost lost my mind as a child. I was like, oh, oh, shit. Wolfpack was dope as hell. And then you had Conan, man, one of my favorites. K-Dog. K-Dog. Big Kev, Scott Hall. 
Mr. Perfect and Scott Steiner were part of it at first, and then they all got thrown out because of Scott Hall. And then yeah, they and decided then to end it with Scott Hall West. tasing fucking Goldberg and having <laughs> Kevin Nash win. Mr. Perfect <sighs> was part of the West uh, West Texas Rednecks. <laughs> and he's from Minnesota. It's very well known. <laughs> he's from Minnesota. He hates yeah. rap. Rap. Uh, rap. rap. <laughs> Yep. I hope that layers perfectly in the actual recording. So CM Punk came out, and, uh, you know, he was just going on with the audience. And I'm thinking this, and I kind of have thought this a little bit, like the whole love fest is kind of it's, – it's fun, but, you know, we need to get past this. And Taz immediately, when I'm thinking that, addresses it and gets on the mic, and he, you know, cuts off Punk. Punk goes into asshole Punk, and it's like, you know – don't ever cut me off while I'm doing this ever again. Uh, he also, you know, and brought attention to, and we would get back to that later. You know, he uh, he called out uh, Linda Pillman, said she was an angel. That was nice, and was asking the crowd who he should face next. And Taz gave his opinion about it and said, keep the members of my group out of your mouth. You know, all the interviews that you've done were Punk was trying to deny that, but like, you know, all your interviews, you talk about Ricky Starks, Wanda faced uh, Wool Hops. How about you face one of them? They'll whoop your ass, basically. And Punk said, bring it. And then ended it by saying uh, something that sounded familiar. I don't know. Beat me if you can, survive if I let you. Taz and CM Punk are two of my favorite people on the mic. They did a great job. The weirdness that would. Basically, this and I think stuff that happened with Tony Schiavone and Adam Collator kind of, I think, took off time for our ending match, which we'll get to because there was like they were feeding to a commercial and then they didn't. And then they kept on going. It was awkward. Then Punk exited, you know, and had a stare down with Will Hobbs. who should just go up and fucking destroy him. But for some reason he didn't. And then also he went right into almost the uh, side instead of the actual entrance. Until he realized it last minute, so that would have been uh, awkward. And then they went to a commercial break. So there was like three or four to five minutes that kind of like I think was a little bit fucked up. But everything between Taz and Punk was great. And yeah, give me give me him against Hobbs. Give me him against – I think this is going to be a smaller feud. Just like I think MJF and Pillman are going to be a smaller feud to get him away from their last thing. And then I think we're going to have Punk and MJF. That's my, uh, that's my thing. Um, for their October punk, unless Punk, unless Punk is gonna be a Taz guy, and they're gonna put the fucking fuck the world title on him, which would be great. That's great for CM Punk's character, like him and Taz together, and he has the fuck the world title. If you were to go heel, I have no problem with that, but I know a lot of people are not gonna want Punk to go heel. But I think he's why, better as a heel. Why? I mean, you can still cheer for him even as a heel. Look at Britt Baker. Yeah. Like. Punk is Punk is he's so known at this point it doesn't matter what he does right so I mean if it's me and it's CM Punk definitely CM Punk if there's anyone that deserves a fuck the world title it's CM Punk <laughs> and if he starts defending that thing to build up to a Kenny Omega match you can switch him babyface you know I don't I have mean? a problem like, with that I don't have a problem with that at all yeah so I, 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 this was interesting I will say that. Like you said, like there's like four or five minutes of nothing that you could have given to Minoru Suzuki and John Moxley instead of me watching a fucking in-frame commercial match of two of the 
the the match that I was most excited about <laughs> on the entire fucking show. Picture in picture, eight minute match. Dang, three minutes. Picture in picture. Yeah, we'll get to it. All right. Next thing, Will Hobbs is already there. Dante Martin comes out. Um, this is a good match between both guys. Will Hobbs looked like a beast. Dante Martin is like a fucking, like a Shaolin monk man, the way he floats on the air. It's ridiculous. I think the biggest thing, though, from this, and I hope it looked like he was knocked for a loop, Chris, because Dante Martin did a, a dive to the outside. I think he did a flip. And instead of Powerhouse Hobbs being in his straight direction, he was more side, side profiled and then looked to his right. Dante's right there, nails him in the head, and then he falls and just thud hit the like it looked like he might have been um, not there for the rest of the match, basically, because they get it in. And then he's really just like kind of it seemed out of nowhere, went right into that spine buster one, two, three. But I, I think Will Hobbs might have gotten his bell rung from that. Yeah, it seemed like they went straight to the finish after that. That was a weird spot. That's just an unfortunate set of circumstances. I'm glad that both guys seem okay. Yep. But, uh, you know, good match until then. Both guys really got to have a lot of upside, especially Will Hobbs, man. Uh, for a big guy, he's fast as shit. And uh, apparently Mark Henry has taken him completely underneath his wing. So that can't be a bad thing at all. No. And and I think Will Hobbs is definitely someone you can build around. They just got to get him out. They need this Taz thing to die. So maybe Mm -hmm. doing Taz and CM Punk would be good because then you can kill off the rest of Taz's group and split them up and do other things. Like the biggest issue with Will Hobbs is he's stuck with a group that does dick all basically except for lose Darby Allen. <laughs> and Will, I mean, Will Hobbs should be like, you should book him like they're booking Miro. So let me ask you something since we're, it's kind of related. Uh, and I know I'm pretty sure Cage is having a match with Starks, but Melissa Santos, uh, she's married to Brian Cage. She was the announcer in Lucha Underground. Uh, and also, she was one of the uh, interviewers on Impact uh, back when he was there. Uh, she said that she feels in an interview, she basically said that she feels like her husband's been underutilized uh, to where he was in previous promotions, being one of the top draws in uh, AEW. What What do you think about that statement? All right, so what I would reply back to her is, like, which star do you replace with Brian Cage? And how would you book him? Does does Cage need something completely different? I'm not yes. saying face paint, but, like, something to make him look like a monster. Because he's huge, I'm, but he's not good on the mic at all. I mean, they put him with... They they had him win that uh, ladder match. And they it should have been just Moxley. him and Taz, man. And he There's was top n- tier. Like they, you, he's been in the main event. So like, I don't get her criticism. Like, who are you gonna take out? Like, he's not as over as Orange Cassidy. He's not as over as Darby Allen. He's not as over as CM Punk. He's not as over as Kenny Omega. At some point, mm-hmm. it's you. You can you can complain about the booking all you want, but like, the only way to build someone that looks like Brian Cage is to make the motherfucker a monster. 
And you can't have, and we've talked about this before, like you have Wardlow, Jack Swagger, uh, Miro, um, Brody when he was there, etc. Like you can only build one monster at a time. Because someone is going to die to that monster. So you're killing the competition. So like Brian Cage is, and like you were alluding to, yeah, they should have just had him and Taz and had that be it. And that would have been fine. And he could have him kill people, et cetera. And like Lance Archer, <laughs> like Lance Archer is better than Brian Cage. I'm sorry. Uh, shout out to Brian Cage's wife. Like Lance Archer is better. You don't hear him complaining about his role in AEW. It's just a stacked ass roster with a lot of fucking the big guys are the big guys because everyone else is small. Uh, in, yep. in comparison to normal wrestling. Um, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's weird. Like, would you would you rather have Hobbs or fucking Brian Cage? Hobbs. I mean, I like Brian Cage. Maybe get him in a tag team. Maybe give him a completely new look. Maybe a mask gimmick. Maybe a, something uh, to kind of change up. Uh, but... His biggest thing was he's not the best, I don't think, on the mic. And uh, I, I I thought him and Taz were perfect with the FTW championship, and they never did anything with it, then expanded his group, and now it's abysmal. So maybe come back. It, would it be terrible for him to try to do maybe like an Ultimate Warrior gimmick to rebrand himself or something? Not not no. the Ultimate Warrior, but like something, something, a luchador or, you know, since he does Lucha Libre. You know, uh, so I, I don't know what they're doing, but if they're doing a talent uh, like change, Brian Cage is perfect to go back to impact. Have him build up himself in impact murder. Christian he could beat for the Christian. title. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he already won a championship there. Right. And if she's going to act like impact treated him the best. Yeah, he's a championship for a while. And then he lost to Tessa Blanchard on the way out. So I'm just saying Which we we all saw how that worked out. Uh, it worked out great. <laughs> worked out tremendously. But, but I do like he, Brian Cage. I love to see a match with him and Kenny Omega. But he needs something, and I think part of it, like you said, is on him. Yeah, it's a little bit on him, but it's also like, well, what the fuck do you do? Is he better than Hobbs? Like at some point, you have to look at your roster and go, well. Like, we got fucking Mark Henry in the big show if we want big dudes. So you can only book so many people as a monster. And right now, Miro is that guy. That's why Lance Archer is not really on the show. Yep. I mean, you can't. There's only like a couple roles for each people. It's just like playing football, baseball, whatever. Like, if I'm a wide receiver and there's seven other wide receivers that are better than me, guess guess what I'm not doing today? <laughs> wide receiver <laughs> that's just it is what it is i think brian cage is a great wrestler he's not great on the mic um he has a good look and i feel like what would benefit him especially if, like i said if they're trading talent back and forth would be for him to go back to impact because it's kind of where he built his legacy and then go on a streak there and then you can come back against someone like a Kenny Omega or a Daniel Bryan or a CM Punk. And then that's how you would make him. Um, but right now, like, there is no room for him just to be a big guy on the AEW roster because he's just not that. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. Thought I would just bring it up for conversation purposes. All right, so we had MJF. Uh, oh, my God. MJF comes out and it makes sure that if he's not, I don't know, nuclear hot, that he goes all the way to the fucking sun and dives in. Um, I mean, this is the thing. I complained about the Jericho match, but he pivoted fine from it, and the direction they're going in, I think, is fine. But this man, and God, we have to have, I don't know how you do it since they're both heels, to me personally, the two best guys on the mic out of this last generation is him and Adam Cole. And I want them to have some back and forth in the future. But, my God, no one gets heat like MJF. I guess The Miz does a good job of doing it, honestly, because the fucking crowd hates him. So when he does the whole, when my hand goes up, your mouth your goes mouth shut. shut. <laughs> it fucking pisses people off. MJF should start doing that just to be a dick, by the way. I love how MJF will take it to every level. Here's a new thing he's doing to piss off AEW wrestlers. He's interacting with Baron Corbin on Twitter. Uh, they're both complimenting each other, going back and forth. And you see the AEW fans bitching about this. He is fucking brilliant. Now, I will Dude, say... He, he is one... MJF is one step away from playing La Cucaracha at a Mexican oh. event as the national anthem. He's going to bring JBL out as his fucking personal hero. One of these nights, just to piss people off. In, is, in Texas, uh, he's gonna. I think MJF might incite a riot at some point in his career, and I think that's what he's going for. And he's damn good. Like I said, hammerlock and making it look like Chris Jericho is jerking you off at the crowd. Pretty fucking good, MJF. Pretty good. Improving, he can do high flying moves because he's done a couple as of uh, recently, just to kind of throw it in there and, and matches. But he's he's great in the ring too. But his level of heat is ridiculous. He fucking goes off on on these people. He calls them in Cincinnati where they're from, you know, or where where they are at doing the show. Obviously, John Moxley and Brian Pillman and Brian Pillman Jr. all from there. Um, which makes me want to have a uh, you know loose cannon versus Mox match uh, really badly. <laughs> also, who is this? Who is this Cincinnati this, crazy you... man? Sorry, uh, that that would be Pil Pillman for Cincy. But when he was talking about the city and stuff, I warned him to be like, step aside, you sweat hawks. <laughs> pull a, pull a Rick Reed. If he's gonna get there, let's just go full sin with MJF. Just give him every hill gimmick ever. <laughs> Oh, my God. He doesn't give a fuck what he says. Uh, yeah. And then he finds Linda after already berating the crowd and basically threatens the fucking puncher in the face and then calls his, uh, you know, Brian Pillman's sister, 16 and pregnant, uh, which was hilarious. And, you know, just going off on the Cincinnati crowd. This would definitely bring Brian Pillman Jr. out. Uh, one critique. I wouldn't have fed off the fans. I think you can do that after this whole entire thing. And I love Brian Pillman Jr. And I think he's getting better and better. He's awesome on the mic. But instead of trying to get the fans up, he just fucking insulted right to their face. Your your aunt, who's basically your mother, and uh, your sister. He should be beeline right towards there. And then, you know, MJF comes in with the uh, methany talking about his actual mother uh, line. And that fucking just makes him start running towards them. That is my own little critique about it, you know, because once MJF 
is out of there. You know, you can kind of like get the audience back into it. But I love that Wardlow was in getting in between them, but he wasn't fucking them up. And then, you know, Max takes a shot at Wardlow again and tells him to get in the corner and look pretty because what is he going to do? Help him like he did last night? And Wardlow's like, what the fuck? So he turns his back on MJF. And at one part, Pillman, you know, before he can say that he should have been aborted, Pillman jumps and fucking double legs him and fucking takes him to the ground and starts punching him. And obviously Wardlow knows what's going on, but he waits at least, obviously, like at least five seconds before turning around and grabbing him and throwing him off of him. So I thought all this was fucking great. And I'm dude, MLW is that's how I know MJF and Brian Pillman was their feud in there. And they can have a great match. I've seen them do it. And I think this is a good transitional uh, concept uh, or, or feud uh, to get MJF to the next place. And this also helps Brian Pillman, you know, uh, become somewhat of a singles wrestler. Griff comes out, tries to help. He gets taken out, you know, and uh, it's. It's bad, but Pilbin, you know, calls out MJF, and uh, then later on, Max Caster and his tag partner come out, and Max Caster said that you've been ducking and dodging me, so that was set up for Rampage, and we'll get to that match once we get there, but uh, great great stuff, man. MJF fucking fire heel, man, in the most hot way possible, and Brian Pillman, outside of trying to get the audience for him like a big baby face i think he should have beelined right towards the ring but still great on the mic and i'm looking forward to this feud starting mjf is the proof of concept of you can still be a heel and get heat and people will still like you like as a heel they're like ah if i can hate that guy but hey it's mjf uh he's, he's good done. he's so goddamn good it's ridiculously good um that's the I love this segment, and I didn't really think about the uh, Brian Pillman Jr. coming down the ramp as as much as like the thought you put into it until now. Uh, yeah, that's kind of dumb. Like if someone basically called my family a bunch of inbreds, I'd probably go at them tooth and nail, <laughs> you know. Especially if they're MJF. Um. So yeah, maybe that Austin maybe probably that was, called them. Austin's like, hey, kid, you got next time? Fucking beeline. Go beat his ass. What? Yeah, so, I mean, like, he should have came out with a fucking chair swinging at MJF, like, as hard as hell. But that's not the story they were going for, I guess. But uh, this entire segment makes me question whether CM Punk has some ideas for the story, because this is the CM Punk Jericho storyline. It's it's like uh, the same sh- thing. straight straight edge and your family has a bunch of issues, et cetera. And we're going to I'm going to attack your family. It's it's very similar, which if that's the case and you have Jericho and CM Punk to bounce off of, fuck, should be really, really fun to watch next couple weeks. I think Pillman's going to be a star in the next couple of years. He's definitely some guy that's risen and i think that solo stuff is probably in his future no offense yeah, to Mr. he has Garrison. to keep that he has to keep that yarmir yager uh mullet flow going no or i'm not going to cheer for him oh and by the way i'm pretty sure it was said that 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 outfit that he had last night i forgot someone said on twitter 
was either, if not the same as his dad, the Flying Brian ones, uh, an exact like replica of something that he wore back in uh, Cincinnati years ago. This is a crazy question, but what if like Austin's like, yeah, I'll do a run with Brian Pillman and they have a match against the Young Bucks? I mean, yeah, give me that in my mouth right now. I'll take the balls <laughs> deep. I don't give a fuck. I mean, Austin only has to. I mean, if Sting's allowed to wrestle, you should let Stone Cold wrestle. <laughs> just saying. it's Stone Cold though, man. He he just no. Oh God, uh, dude! Throw him in the corner. Hit a couple boots. Stop a mud hole in that ass. What? <laughs> and besides, it would be Ice Free Steve Williams. Wouldn't be Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know? Oh yeah, Stunning Steve. <laughs> Stunning Steve. And oh my Brian god, if Tillman if Austin Jr. came out with a fucking wig on, oh that would be amazing. Shave all of his facial hair off. CM Punk comes out and he's like, What? I wonder because of the CM Punk stuff, I wonder, because Austin's always wanted to do a match with CM Punk. I wonder what that contract looks like. <laughs> oh man, too much. I think at this point he's he's definitely done but we can all hope and want to pray i thought sting was definitely done he's older than austin yeah <laughs> that's a good point kind of problems i want austin and the rock one more time i gotta be honest with you i can't get enough of that shit but that's never gonna happen or him and punk yeah. that'd be great him and punk and aw that'd be uh that's that's a money ass match so what wasn't that money of a match was the next match uh, something wasn't working right with Ruby Soho and Jamie Hayter, and I unfortunately kind of have to put it on haters' uh, side. I'm not trying to be a hater, but I'm just saying. Uh, no, she's been she's been bad since coming back. I don't know what's going on. Like she was off in the, her uh, debut match as well. Remember we talked about a couple bot spots. Yep. With her, like I don't know, Bea Priestley should slap the shit out of her and be like, "Remember how to wrestle, stardom." Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, there's just some weird shit between them in this match. Obviously, this was going to have it where um, Ruby goes over, and we talked about it already. She gets triple teamed by Britt Baker and her Stooges. And then out comes Chris Atlander and Riho. This would set up the tag match that was on Rampage. Any other comments about that? I mean, outside of, like, Jamie Hayer changed her entire self and then became shitty at wrestling, no. <laughs> she was better when she looked the old way. Yeah, I don't know. I'd probably be calling, uh, like you said, be Priestley and being like, hey, what should I do? Uh, everything different. Uh, all right, six-man uh, tag so, team match. So, by the way, is Bia back with uh, Osprey? Are they going to run that? No, she's – I thought I heard, unless I'm going crazy, I thought B Priestley just joined NXT UK. weird that's weird but it's so good for her because she's great but i mean well they have they have a good women's division over there but yeah i mean and she wouldn't wrestle in new japan outside of like a random stardom opening thing so yep she signed a contract with wwe and uh her new name is blair davenport Oh my god, the fuck up out of here with that. Blair. This is a Davenport. badass last name. Why the fuck? 
Davenport. Because British call a bureau that. You know, or or dresser if you're from the South. You know who's never gotten their ass kicked (laughs) by someone named Davenport? Anyone of all time. Yeah. Uh, Davenport. Seriously. Davenport. All right. Six-man tag team match. Dark Order, which consisted of Evil Uno, Johnny Hungy Silva, Silver, I should say, and Stu Grayson going against FTR, Sean Spears. The match, it does not matter. It's it's a fact of the storyline. Dark Order are knocking along. John Silver was in there for a majority of the time, and he ended up getting beaten because FTR was being smart. They kept on taking out the two members on the ringside um, and taking advantage of that and just all kicked the shit out of him. After losing, Evil Uno comes, and he pushes John Silver, and he's in his face, and they're both like going back and forth. So, And then they all start fighting with each other. So either Adam Page is going to come back, and I hope – I don't want to see Adam Page with the fucking Dark Order anymore. But he's going to come and resolve all their issues, or we're building to a couple of them leaving and possibly Bray Wyatt taking over as the leader of the Dark Order. That's my two guesses, and I think we've talked about both those options. But I don't want either, honestly. Just break my them up. Guess, my guess is – Rowan and Bray come back at the same time to get the group under control. Well, Rowan so, was like, kind of with them at the, you know, Brody uh, show last yeah, year. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying is like, I think they come back together and like Rowan is the muscle and they get the group under control. And then you can do some really fun things with uh, uh, Stu and uh, Evil Uno if you want to. Storyline wise, but uh, I don't know. Bray versus uh, Malachi, which I thought was going to be the number one with the bullet for what the fuck they were doing in WWE, and they never got there. That's interesting. I think it would be really cool. I think I said this for WWE too when they were feuding. If if they get if they were to get Eric Braun and Bray. Put Braun as the fiend or something similar to that and Bray more as the leader like he used to be and just kind of or I guess I could do it with Eric. But Braun's, I think, just better in the ring compared to Eric. I've always thought that Eric was kind of awkward, honestly, even more so than Braun. But he's this giant monster that, you know, Bray kind of controls. I mean, out of that group, Brody was definitely the best wrestler, but. Yes. I like Rowan more than Braun, so I don't know. If I'm channeling, I'm channeling 2016 Monster Braun, but put a mask on him and he doesn't talk at all, like where he's just fucking destroying people and throwing Roman Reigns off of fucking ambulances and shit or whatever the hell I'm he did. I'm channeling 2019 Eric Rowan wearing at the gates metal T-shirts with Daniel Bryan. <laughs> He's, I think he's better than Braun, but Braun is uh, is kind of a different animal. He's going to look very, very small against a Wardlow, though. He's not as big as WWE made him out to be. Yeah, he's what, like 6'6", six, six, I think? I mean, he's, he's a big-ass guy. Like, if you, like when I went to see Raw, uh, this was years ago, um, he is, is definitely a presence. But uh, what like you got fucking gallows 
Wes Gallows like seven foot two seventy or some shit. Yeah. Billy Gunn is bigger than Braun is what I'm getting at. That is true. I think he's going to impact, but I'm just saying it would be fun to play with that concept. You could do the same thing with Eric Rowan though. I guess you should probably put like the sheet mask then on him or something instead. But it'd be fun if we can get the concept of the fiend and also the concept of Bray Wyatt, the cult leader, all in one. But we'll see what they end up doing. And if they end up signing him, he could be also, like, rumored going to Impact Wrestling. So he might have nothing to do with well, the Dark Order. So, so they could do the sheep and goat mask like they were doing before, but with the Kabuki mask, like he teased. So, like, all three of them roll over, and they're like, yeah, the Dark Order is our nerds. And then you could, if you want to do something with uh, Johnny Hungy, it'd be like the underneath guy in that group but it does give you like something to build off of because i don't know what else you do with bray honestly i don't know we'll have to see uh tony shivani is talking to the young bucks and kenny omega and all the other members of the elite they bring out their newest member adam cole baby he comes and he's about to talk he said, uh, before I go into story time, I got to do something. And then he gets in Tony Schiavone's face and says, I don't care what type of relationship you have with Britt Baker. Uh, if you even look at her the wrong way, um, I'll, I will basically kick your teeth down your throat or whatever the hell he said. And he said, now get out of the ring. And Tony's – look, I listen to his podcast every week. I know that he acts like a tough guy on there. I didn't need tough guy Tony because he kept on like, you know, not leaving and kind of like, you know, you could see it at first and the camera wasn't on him because I don't think they want that perception. But he kept on kind of like bucking at him or whatever. And Adam Cole's like, get out of here, leave. Just went on way too fucking long. But I love that initial concept. And he talks about, like I said, I, I think the idea is that he is their head, much like. Jim Ross, like Jr. used to buck up against Stone Cold Steve Austin and shit. I feel like they're putting Tony in that role. Like he would have a match if he needed to have a match. Kind well, of thing. I think I don't know if he was going to business for himself or if that's what he was told to do. But that took time off of the ending, just like that other bullshit they had already earlier. So I thought it was completely, and in my opinion, just unnecessary. Just Tony, get the fuck out of the ring and go, so they can keep on going with this shit. He's not tough, and neither is his fucking uh, his earring. I love Tony, but I'm glad Taz called him out for that, too. It's kind of creepy. Bro, I don't want to fight Tony Schiavone in real life. He might whip my ass. It'd be embarrassing. Hell no. I know for a fact, and I, and I love Tony Schiavone. I will celebrity box your ass, and I will fuck you up. Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> You crazy. How old's Tony? Like 70? <laughs> yeah, he's like 100 years old. I'll just go after right. his needs. We're starting bets right here. Get, get us at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. <laughs> um, Dane versus Tony Schiavone. What do you guys think? Fuck that bitch up. Anyways, but Tony leaves and they start going into Adam Cole. Addresses that the Elite's the best tag team. Uh, Kenny Omega is one of the best wrestlers in the world and the champion. And then it doesn't mention uh, Gals and Anderson. Well, Danes, you know, uh, Nakazawa's in there and so was Cutler. They don't fucking matter in the concept. You have 
the Impact Tag Team Champions. It was a little weird that he just ignored them. Um, but Daniel Bryan cuts them off after Adam Cole's done. Kenny says, I hate being cut off. Enter Daniel Bryan. And uh, he basically, you know, uh, comes out, punks Kenny, says he wants to fight him, and that Kenny won't do it because he's a bitch. Uh, they go all after him, and then out comes Jurassic Express, Christian Cage, and Frankie Kazarian, who's having a match with Adam Cole next week, which should be a fucking awesome match. Um, and the heels get the fuck out of there, kind of proving a little bit that, that Brian Danielson's right. So uh here's the problem though he does need to get some wins it, christian had to do it you know this is a, this is a thing ruby soho is going against Britt baker because she won a battle royal for that conditioning so i don't want daniel bryan going to the top of the food chain i think honestly if you're not doing adam page he should be the one with the belt to take it off of kenny but i'm hoping they're not going to really this is going to build to their next pay-per-view is what i'm hoping uh which i think is at the beginning of november so they have a little time to rack up some wins for Brian Danielson. Here is what I would do is Brian Danielson gets a number one contender match against a mystery opponent, and that opponent is the hangman, and hangman beats Daniel. That's what I'm I down. And then I would have hangman also beat Kenny and hold the title to get it away from that group. Um, but, you know, I mean, he can run through, you know, they can do singles matches with Carl and uh, one of the Bucks and, and uh, Cold Spray Guy. I, I never could think of his Cutler, <laughs> Brandon Cutler. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of stuff you can do with Brian Danielson. Uh, the end result is people want to see him versus Hingman Adam Page and people want to see him against... Uh, Kenny Omega and Kenny the Kenny Omega is going to be the money match. And yeah, I hope I hope their uh, John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith comes out in full form. Wrap it all the way back to PWG. Um, I actually hope that does not happen. I'll probably punch <laughs> myself in the face repeatedly, but to each their own. I mean, if they do if they do that and then they just have a great wrestling match, you'd love it. You know you would. No, it's going to kill the wrestling match because something stupid like that happens. Between Kenny and freaking Brian? Yeah, it'd be great. Could you yeah, imagine if the Iron Ellis Man match did. with Brett? Oh, yeah, that, that gives a good reason. They also fucking <laughs> went scissor me timbers or whatever the hell. Um, 69 me, Don. That, that, that was fun. <laughs> 69. I forgot about that. That's so good. Don Callis is living his best life. Ridiculous. All right, last match. Less than 10 minutes, we got John Moxley, Minoru Suzuki, and they did what they did with it. It was a hard-hitting match. The thing is, the one critique I'll have about this, Moxley's tough, and I've seen him be snug. Minoru Suzuki was being snug as shit, especially with his, with his uh, elbow hits, and I thought Moxley was kind of just like, eh. Like, fucking get into it, man. I mean, I know that he's older, but Minoru Suzuki can take a beating. I've seen his matches with Ishii, for Christ's sakes. But they beat the living shit out of each other. There was that accident. Obviously, if someone's going to cut themselves uh, for color, they're going to do it on their forehead. Minoru Suzuki, like above his eye, he got split. So I guess John was hitting him uh, in certain parts of it. But, I mean, it was a nasty match. It sucked that it was so short. 
and John got uh, his, you know, I, I think he did uh, the original, uh, you know, uh, underhook DDT, and then did the lifting one right after that. Um, yeah, he one, hit the uh, what do they what do they call it? Death Rider. One's the Death Rider, and one's the Paradigm Shift or something. Paradigm Shift's the normal one, and the other one is basically the 1916, but it's double underhooked, and that's the uh, Death Rider. But, yeah, I uh, thought it was a good match. I'm just glad that, and I feel like they might have added this in. Since Suzuki's here, you might as well keep him in, and it is great that Suzuki, if we get to see Jake the Snake and Suzuki come out to the ring together, that's going to be awesome. But Lance Archer's like, yo, that is my fucking, I, I, I was in his group, and you did him wrong on Twitter, basically, and they announced that they're going to be addressing that situation next week, so maybe we'll get... Moxley, if not with Eddie Kingston, against someone else, against Minoru Suzuki and uh, Lance Archer. And obviously Moxley and Archer have their rivalry. So we'll see. But I, I do I agree with you, Chris. I hope that this keeps on happening where he keeps on taking out the legends, so the Japanese legends, and that eventually gets to Tanahashi maybe in November for that next pay-per-view. Would you be heartbroken instead of Tanahashi, it's Buddha? No, of course not. Are you kidding me? I'd be so down for that. I mean, I'd want that for I'd want that for Malachi Black because I know that that's one of his biggest influences. But uh, yeah, give me Moxley versus Muda. Are you kidding I mean, me? This is if Moxley lives through this Nick Gage match he's gonna have. Jesus <laughs> Christ! Or the next match he has with Suzuki, dude. He's putting himself in harm's way way too much. My only I, I like this match. My only problem was like. You could have cut a bunch of bullshit out of the show to have a good Moxley Suzuki match. It was yeah, rushed. they went and, they went over. So part of what you're talking about with Moxley is I feel like they told him how much time he had and he got pissed off. <laughs> he was like, "Fuck this." Well, he also spent at least five minutes going through the fucking crowd and having hugs with everyone. I mean, they could have, I don't know, taken well, the yeah. timing off of that. I mean, they told him that he was going to have an eight-minute match regardless, so he probably was like, we'll see about that. Uh, Moxley, right. Moxley seems like that guy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very much like we were talking about with Austin, where it's like, oh, you want me to drop the title to Brock? Fuck that. <laughs> Just go home. <laughs> go and That's hang out with Renee. Yeah. Uh, John Moxley should be in that top 10 PWI, by the way. Was he not? He wasn't, but he was number one, I think, last year. Yeah, they're, they're full of shit. He should have been top 10 this year. Well, he and he's had some great matches. Um, Rampage, which for live audience in Cincinnati, you get a three-hour AEW Dynamite, basically. Uh, and I can't wait until that comes to Atlanta for our option because both shows are awesome. We started off with a fucking great grudge match. I loved everything about this match. Pac, Andrade, El Idolo. We didn't have this because of some travel issues from Pac. I think he might have had COVID. I'm not 100% sure. There's always that fucking rumor out there. Um, no, he, he tested positive so he can travel. But that, I mean, a test doesn't necessarily mean you have COVID, so it's hard to say. But that, that was the travel issues. So that's confirmed. Okay. Okay, well, either way. Uh, Lucha Bro, it just starts off. Boxing match is about to start, basically. No entrances. They're just going to let these guys go at it. They also noted on commentary, 
Phoenix and Pentagon, the champions. He told him to chill in the back. Let me just have Andrade. Andrade has that one guy that's his whatever. I don't know what the fuck he is. Uh, and then obviously Chavo in his corner. And they alluded to the concept uh, that I forgot to bring up during the pay-per-view that Chavo made it look like he might have changed the flights on Pac, like deflecting him going against Andrade. And Andrade was like, what the fuck? So that kind of sets up for the ending of this match. But these guys, here was the story of the match. Who could fucking out-wrestle each other, especially aerial stuff? Because these guys did some crazy shit over and over. Pac did that one dive where he basically somehow rotates his body all the way to the other side on top of the person, standing up like it's nothing. But El Idolo came off the fucking ropes, jumped over it, and fucking did a, you know, a, three, or a, a spin in the air, rotating his body completely before hitting him. It was just back and forth trying to outdo each other the whole entire time and then there's a ref distraction um and chavo comes out and little little critique i i know it's going to be hard to fucking hit someone with an ipad on the head possibly you're gonna you're gonna fuck someone up blah 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 it's sh- you should have hit him on the head i know for a fact that i could take an ipad to the back and it's not going to knock me unconscious but whatever Pac got hit by it andrea doesn't know what the fuck's going on he gets the win, and afterwards, Andrade finds out what happens, and he gets pissed about it, actually. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I wanted to have – like, he wants to be competitive. And he fucking nails Chavo and drops him on his ass, and him and his agent, whatever the fuck, leave. Chavo is there with Pentagon and Phoenix, who ran out to take care of the distraction. Uh, they both double super kick him. They throw him in the ring, and then he gets put into the brutalizer from Pac, who won't let it go. So I, I like this. I think, Chris, I'm assuming that Andrade is switching management. And I don't know what that means for Chavo. I, I think he does work in the back and stuff like that. Uh, I'm sure they can pair him with someone else. It sucks that fucking uh, – what the hell's his name? Um, Chris, who was the wrestler that was awesome that used to bring the roses – and now he doesn't do a goddamn thing on Raw. Like he would, he would put it in their mouth before beating their ass. And any and, of them? <laughs> no, the Mexican wrestler that it was funny because he acted oh, like he was, uh, yeah, he did the pants gimmick. I can't think of his name. Yeah, he ripped off his pants. Yeah, yeah. He would be uh, he perfectly was, paired with Chavo. But if they weren't like wasting a, him, he was a tag partner with um with Andrade. Andrade. For a I can't think of his name right now. Like, if for some reason he was available... Yeah, Angel Garza? Is it Angel yeah, Garza? Yeah, it's, yeah, that's it. Angel Garza, yeah. He's great. Angel Garza, when he was on NXT, I thought he was going to be a superstar, but it's WWE, so they fucked him up. Like, especially with the pants gimmick and, uh, like, how much that crowd loved him. And then they did the storyline where he, he was, like, kind of sneaking in on Selena Vega. I was like, that's a good storyline. Roll with that. And they're like, no. No, yeah, exactly. WWE. <laughs> Guy's got charisma for days. He's he's bi- bilingual in the fact that he speaks English fluently. If if there were maybe some communication issues, uh, if there's a contract up or something, Angel and Chavo as a pair to go back against Andrade sometimes sometime in the future. Cool concept. But obviously this is he's getting Ric Flair's manager is what I'm assuming. Yeah. Because Rick, so Rick is a heel. Rick is a heel. Well, uh, real be- quick. 
Rick is a okay. heel, but he wants to mostly win by out wrestling the other opponent. He'll use a four horseman once in a while, but he doesn't want to duck and dodge someone by changing their fucking flight or having them hit in the head. He wants to beat them because he's better than them. So Andrade versus Malachi, as far as like if you're talking about the past, that's the one. Yep. They had a fucking fantastic match at TakeOver. But Ric Flair, I, I, I want Andrade to kind of not to a T do Eddie Guerrero, but if Ric Flair is going to be his manager, why you cheat, you steal. Yeah. So he yeah. doesn't need people, but he does cheat to win, you know, like whatever he can do, whether it's exposing a turnbuckle or low blowing when the ref's back's turned or, you know, all of all of the above. <laughs> That's going to be great. And uh, I mean, it sucks for Chavo. I love Chavo, but I'm sure they'll find something for Chavo to do. He would be great representing someone else as a manager, for sure. It doesn't have to be a Hispanic wrestler, but man, if Angel Garza was available in the next couple of months or something, they grab him, put him with Chavo, and put them against Andrade. Like, Chavo's like, this guy's better than you. Like, that would be a lot of fun down the line. But I don't know when the fuck his contract's up. They might let him go the next fucking round because. You know, what the fuck is he doing? He's so talented and he's like, what, in catering every fucking week? I, the real question is, when's Charlotte's contract up? <laughs> Woo! Because she's loving those matches against Naya and now yeah. against Alexa. She's out. <laughs> when that contract's up, she's out. Mark it down <laughs> right now. She's gone as soon as that contract's up. WWE would have to pay her like three times what she's worth to stay in that company. And then you have to bring Tessa in the mix, man. We have to have Telly and Tessa versus Rick and Charlotte, you know, both fathers in the corners of their daughters. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. Well, so there was an article about Tessa recently where both Tony Khan and Vince uh, didn't want her as an employee. Did you see that? That Dude, I'm telling you, that Twitter stuff, just, it killed it. Um, well, I don't that, know. Like, take your title and go home at a pay-per-view. I think, Tony, it's it's the Twitter shit, and I think that Vince probably, if he knew about that title stuff, he's like, yeah, I'm not doing business with her if she's going to do that shit. Because didn't they want to have her, and there was some weird bullshit with her after the Mae Young Classic? She was pissed that she lost in the first round or something? That seems familiar. Totally, get a hold of your girl. Also, totally... If Manny Fernandez gets into a fight at Denny's, don't hide in the bathroom. <laughs> All right, next match. <laughs> Rebel, Jamie Hayter, and Britt Baker going against Chris Statlander, Riho, and Ruby Soho. I um, thought Riho looked really good in this match, but honestly, this is kind of a bit of a clusterfuck. Uh, Statlander fucking just looked like a monster. She double suplexed both Rebel and Hayter. Um, and then, uh, Rio climbed on her shoulders and hit a double stomp to rebel who was covering uh, Baker. And then, um, Soho came in and used the opportunity to hit her finisher and beat rebel for the win. Um, pretty good stuff. Yeah, it was okay. There was a, there, like you said, it was kind of, there was some clusterfuck moments in this match and uh dream matches Statlander versus Charlotte Flair. Absolutely. It'd be great. 
but no, it's good, good stuff in this match. Good uh, Ruby moments. It's fine. All right, the last match, Brian Pillman Jr. versus Max Caster. Uh, wow, it really seems, even though they referenced it, it, it does seem like they're, you know, Max's raps have gotten a little, little bit lamer, not as uh, impactful. You know, if you're Max Caster, you can't make jokes about this and that. But if you're if you're Max uh, MJF, that Max, then, you know, you can fucking talk about getting aborted and, uh, you know, all this other shit. But whatever. Yeah, if you're MJF, you can put someone in a hammerlock and make them fictionally jerk you off. But if you're Max Caster and you say anything slightly offensive, it's so fucking ridiculous. AEW <sighs> fans, stop being white knights. It's okay. Some things are allowed to be offensive. Yeah, sometimes you want to be a heel. So, whatever. Especially since the biggest issue was fabricated in the first place. Whatever. I'm not going to go back into it. You guys heard me rap beforehand, and I apologize for that. But Brian Pillman Jr. and Max Caster had a good match. Um, and I like the ending. I, I like that not only did he win, but then he was getting jumped by the two of them, and fucking John Moxley ran out. You have two of uh, Cincinnati's finest, you know, kind of stepping on top of both of these guys. And that's what made the uh, them go home happy. And I thought that Pillman looked great in this match. All the springboards. I like that he was going to do the uh, clothesline, but, you know, Max realized and got the fuck out of the way. This is a pretty good match and uh, a good ending. But here's the thing about Rampage. It can't be the, the third hour always. Like, I know it's it's hard because the first two weeks were so solid with having, like I said, the Christian-Kenny Omega match on the first one started it off, and CM Punk coming the next one. I'm not saying that level, but it just – some of these kind of come off just like as an extra hour of Dynamite, which is what it is filmed and recorded. So um, it was fine. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I thought it was a, a- – a decent match. I I kind of expected more. Does that makes sense. Me too. And uh, as far as the Dynamite Rampage, I mean they're recording them one after another. I think, right? Yep. So it's supposed to be a continuation. That's gonna be hard. Uh, yeah, you can't have a title change and then CM Punk every week. But. Good show, nonetheless. AEW, definitely the company on the map right now. Hey, I'm fine. You know, I hope NXT, with this new look, new concept, new feel, we have uh, Bronson Richsteiner appearing. Guess what his name is, Chris? It's actually a pretty cool one. I don't care. His last name's not Steiner, so it doesn't matter. No, it's Rex Steiner. They're, 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 they're making it be known that he's a Steiner. Okay. So it's All right. Rex Steiner. Good. I assumed they were going to name him like Von Brockovich or something. No, I was much happier with that. He's going in there. Carl Bloom's going to be on there. So they're trying out some of the new talent. They got a new look, new dynamic. Raw. Ugh. Ugh. If it wasn't for, for RK Bro, The New Day, Charlotte, and a couple other fucking people, Drew McIntyre, I wouldn't give a shit. I really wouldn't. But SmackDown, AEW, great stuff. You remember when we were talking about uh, – Orton's contract was up, 
like a while back and talking about him going to AEW, do you think he regrets not going to AEW? No, I think Randy's fine with just whatever. I think he he like like that seems like his attitude. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna go wrestle. I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna hang out with my wife, and I'm gonna you know RKO my children into the pool area and play some video games. And I'm gonna go wrestle, and that's what he rinse and repeat over and over again. He, he it's like care about him being creative. Match with him and Kenny. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. And that's funny. He's one of. He's definitely one of Dave and Brian's uh, favorites in WWE, but I don't think he gives a shit. I really just don't. I think he cares about trying to help out some of the newer guys like Matt Riddle going forward with WWE, but I think that he's a WWE guy. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he seems like. Oh, why would he not be though? WWE's treated him. He's the youngest heavyweight champion of all time. He's like what, fourteen-time champion or some shit? Yeah. How many um, how many WrestleMania main events or at least co-main events has he had? Yeah, I mean, it was just very fun to think about Randy Orton in AEW. <laughs> well, you know, Jay's over there, and Christian's one of uh, Randy's best friends, so maybe he's sending him uh. Him and Edge, like, hey, you guys might want to try this. You know, I'm just saying. Talk to Tony. He's got some money. <laughs> yeah, yeah Randy's probably a lifer for WWE, which is fine. But, like, two years ago, maybe it was a year ago when this contract was up, there was definitely a conversation of Randy going to AEW. And, and looking at it, it's like, God damn, him and Kenny Omega would have such a good match. After watching the Christian matches, it would yeah. be that, but like add add two stars to it. Add some Randy weird Orton. fucking RKO off a of fucking <laughs> something, you know, to end the match or almost be a two count. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely, and that would be awesome. You know, but there was another guy that was thought of either staying or leaving, and. I think he's kicking himself in the head and one of the bigger stars from that era as well. Jeff Hardy was uh, going for the 24-7 championship. I can't. I can't talk about this. What the fuck? Why didn't he go to fucking AEW, man? They would have treated him like a god. I, I feel I feel like, like, yeah, if him and Matt both went there, they would be top tier right now. They would have just continued to delete stuff, which they did. But just with Matt. Oh, and their uh, tag shit would be great, and then Jeff could do whatever he wanted from there. I mean, he which, to me, he ain't getting that WWE championship. I don't even know how the fuck you get a tag championship. Over an AEW, I could see him picking that up again within his career. They, they must have promised him one more run at the top is the only way I could see. Yeah, I guess for the 24-7 championship. Well, you know what I'm saying. They like, Yeah, yeah. They, must have promised something that did not come to fruition because otherwise like why the hell would he stay there well matt and um and his uh wife were not happy with that and they expressed that on twitter Rebby. good about <laughs> Rebby. yes Re- Ryder Ryder died. Pissed. love you Rebby. the best if I all right well remarried it would be to Rebby. your wife is nowhere near your room is she no. <laughs> I, said <if> I, <laughs> I said if I could get remarried. She knows my love for Rebby Hardy. Rebby knows my love for Rebby Hardy. Love you, Rebby. Shout out. And Rosemary, third, uh, you can still, uh, you know, get in my DMs if you want. Third, third wifey. Third wifey would be Seshmoth. Hey, Session, looking at you. 
All right. Well, now we're going to Utah, apparently. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so that was an episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. We have rambled uh, for over four hours, I think. Oh, shit. For almost four and a half hours. Chris, I thought today would be a short day, but you know how it is. Say goodbye to all the lovely people and give any plugs you'd like to. Hey, goodbye to all the lovely people. If you want to talk to me, you can hit me on Twitter at Chris R. Patton, whether it's wrestling, sports, or if you're just feeling in a weird way, hit me up. Love to talk to you. Uh, Facebook, Christopher.R.Patton. And uh, yeah, everyone have a great weekend. Thank you guys so much for listening. Send it back over to Dane. Hey, getting it right back from you, Chris. Uh, yeah, and if you guys want to hit me up, I'm at DaytonAlves42 on Twitter and DaytonAlves on Facebook. And we can have a conversation about wrestling. Do whatever, you know, just talk and hopefully not argue. But uh, either way, thank you guys for listening. All of our past listeners, you guys are fucking awesome. I love you. And all of our new listeners that are checking out this episode, if whatever platform you heard us on isn't your favorite, you can find us literally on any downloadable platform, whether it be Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, uh, whatever it is. Just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance and you'll find us. We do this every week. We usually record on Saturdays and get those shows out. I don't know. Um, usually about Sunday, Monday. So just listen every week, and uh, it's going to be a fun time. And, uh, yeah, I love you guys. Hey, yeah, I'm going to ask you a, a, an awkward question. We're never going to do our heels recap. <sighs> Dude, we'll, we'll, we'll do it after. We'll do the second through fifth episode after that comes <laughs> okay. out next week. But that was a great episode. I'm not doing another 30 minutes on the show and doing a five-hour one. Just can't <laughs> no, happen. I agree. I agree. But also, tune in for the heels. Dude, heels is so fucking good. So fucking good. The story is getting great, man. I love it. Anyways, but yeah. Watch wrestling. Watch heels. Watch whatever the fuck you want. And come back and listen to us. And we'll talk about it. So uh, here's Dane. Here's to you. Peace out. And let Wrestling Geeks Alliance be with you. To the moon! Woo!